and welcome to episode 16 of Miniatures Monthly. My name is Chris Thurston, and as ever, I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Hi, Tom. That was a very excited hello. Yeah, <laughs> that was... <laughs> because, boy, things are going to change around here. They are. So, this is going to be a slightly, again, a slightly different episode than normal, because there's so much news. Mm. There's so much news that uh, I know that my uh, second major Sigma thinking has been completely dominated by second edition. Which is confirmed. It's happening. Yeah. And very soon. And very soon. Um, but loads of other stuff as well. Like, uh, you know, when we were uh, almost to the extent that I want to push uh, talking about Age of Sigma second edition, which we're definitely going to do almost certainly at some length. Yes. About X minutes from now, just so that we can address some of the other news that in any other month would have been absolutely massive. Yes. Um, and also, uh, you know, and also to, you know, even think about the fact that I went to the biggest Warhammer tournament I've ever been to this month mm. almost seems like a, a small footnote in yeah. the changing rules apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It's really exciting. So I wanted to open with something non Warhammer related just as a, as a, a, a gesture at the notion this might not just be entirely an Age of Sigma podcast. Mm. Um, which is the announcement of. Uh, the blah, blah, Age of Sigma. No, yeah. <laughs> that's my brain. Um, X-Wing 2.0. X-Wing second edition. So I have to kind of lay my cards on the table and say this is something I knew about and couldn't talk about mm. uh, based on the, the the work I did at Fantasy Flight a few months ago. Um, but it's really, really, really exciting. Um, and I think in, in for me, in, in Microcosm, it is done kind of... Age of Sigma is uh, updating... And that update is so rapidly upon us that I think you and I have both felt that kind of like, you know, maybe let's wait until second edition to play our next kind of big round of games or yeah, something. For sure. But that's how I feel about X-Wing. Mm. Like I, I was, I was very unhappy with the state of X-Wing and I've been so for quite a long time. And I know that uh, I've talked about that on the podcast before. Mm. And this second edition is exactly what I wanted them to do to the game. And more than that, for me, it's quite, it's almost like this is a strange thing, but like game designers communicate through game design, right? People do community posts and interviews and stuff, but yeah. principally the way you communicate, the way you'd like your game to be is by doing that. Yeah. Changing it. Changing it. And so whenever there's a big patch or for a video game or something like this for a miniatures game, for me, it's like, this is a statement or an FAQ, I guess, for a miniatures game. This is a statement about what they want the game to be. Mm. And what excites me so much about it is it's a statement of, we want to make the game that you miss, Chris. <laughs> and, and a lot of people like me, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, I know Tom, you've played a bit of X-Wing, but like not to the mad extent oh, no. that I have. No, no, no. Um, but like, I think this is quite exciting stuff for everybody mm. because basically second edition represents a consolidation of every idea that crept in to X-Wing 1.0 over the course of five years and sort of bringing them together so that they make sense together for mm. the first time in years, basically. So, uh, hugely revised rules when it comes to how turrets work. Uh, X-Wing is a game of like positioning and kind of very manual maneuvering skill. Yeah. And so the concept of a 360 degree firing arc, uh, with a turret was something that was always a problem for the game, even when it was balanced or not. And it led to this Ooh. arms race of offensive and defensive upgrades to get, you know, to try and make that work. And it never did really. You know, it was always a wonky sort of system. It's gone. You know, turrets um, now work as a mobile arc that has to be rotated around the ship. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a new system for the force in the game. Arcs are much more important. Um, the way actions work has been revised so that you can... Uh, 
uh, differentiate between ship chassis by what kinds of maneuver, not both what kinds of maneuvers they're capable of and what kind of actions those chain into, which is really nice and a kind of elegant expansion on what was already possible within that rule system, which is a rule system I love. It's just a rule system that wasn't designed to shoulder the weight of additional rules that eventually got piled upon it. Mm. Because there's a business incentive to add rules that always are. So to get over overwhelmed by the cards, almost the, the card layer seemed to take over it perhaps it did and it, well, it's also that um there wasn't enough space in that original design um for them to keep adding new stuff without sort of throwing something out the window if that makes sense mm-hmm. like so i'll give you the example in in x-wing 1.0 uh ships have a dial and those dials have maneuvers on them and those maneuvers can be uh green which re- relieves stress and that's becoming blue in the new edition to help with colorblindness, which is a nice touch. Oh, that's good. Um, white, which doesn't apply stress to normal maneuver and red, which gives you stress. And they added some new maneuvers as time went on, like various forms of doing a cool flip. Mm. That's a thing. Uh, stopping, uh, reversing became a thing for a particular ship. Um, and, um, but there wasn't so much you could do with that. And then ships would have actions on their action bar, uh, like uh, taking a target lock or boosting or barrel rolling, those kinds of things. Mm. Um, and then, there was a universal upgrade called uh, an elite pilot talent called push the limit available to any pilot with the uh, elite pilot talent upgrade slot um, that would allow you to perform a second action after your first one in return for a stress token. This was added as a sort of like envisaged originally as a kind of ACE technique. So like a uh, exceptional TIE fighter pilot, yeah. like an interceptor would be able to barrel roll and then flip out and do something. Crazy. Yeah. The art for push the limit is really cool. It's a tie interceptor and an A wing passing each other, mm. like extremely close. Yeah. Like, and it's like both pilots are sort of playing chicken with one another, pushing mm. the limit, if you will. However, push the limit was just one of those concepts that unfortunately kind of broke the game a bit because it, it, in terms of efficiency, it's better than almost any other use of that slot. Right. So anything that, um, anything else that occupies the same upgrade slot, has to be better or cheaper and there's no other there's no argument there mm. so i give you this is one example there's so much to talk about potentially if this was an action podcast but you know but for example this is a nice elegant bit of miniatures game design push the limit is going away it's just not going to be in the game anymore however they've introduced the concept of uh linked actions which are on your ship's action bar mm. so um for example um the uh i think it's the a-wing can um do a boost after a focus and it has to be a boost and that boost gives you a stress which is how the old push the limit would have worked yeah but it dictates what order the the actions have to take place in so you have to do a focus action and then a boost Mm. and the tie interceptor is the only ship um that can boost out of a barrel roll and barrel roll out of a boost which is the old sort of repositioning combo Mm. so in fact what push the limit used to do for tie interceptors is now a core part of that ship but it's specific to that ship and that just that one little change gives you a huge amount of potential granularity in terms of how different ships feel because it used to be that if a ship had both boost and barrel roll on its action bar and room for push the limit it would behave the same way as any other ship with that combo Mm. now the precise order in which things can trigger and whether or not a ship boosts into a defensive action or boosts into an offensive action or another repositioning action fundamentally change the kinds of things the way they feel. Yeah. Like that's a hard concept to articulate if people haven't played X-Wing, but ships feel a particular way in X-Wing based on how you can move them specifically a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And that's a really, that's a huge strength of the game, but there's something that got eaten away as super powerful upgrades made everything kind of work the same way. 
And it's really exciting to see it kind of yeah. tighten like that. I love that they uh, explicitly said they wanted to make it a game about movement and positioning again, which is for me, mm. the, one of the great strengths of X-Wing is the dial system. And it's having these little kind of, uh, if you've never played X-Wing, basically you move your ships by using little rulers and they're curved yeah. curved rulers or straight rulers. And they'll be like, you know, a, a, a certain type of turn. Then you go two along that sort of arc. Uh, and you literally put this ruler in front of the ship and then move the ship along the ruler. And mm. it's, it's very precise and it's, really really fun and uh leads to a lot of interesting uh cal- sort of calamitous scenarios when you start so when you start playing you start like uh, as as i did in the very start of fairly early on in x-wing's life um you used to be able to run lots of lots of tie fighters and there was a real genuine skill to organizing those tie fighters to f- fly in a cluster in formation and keep yeah. them from crashing into one another uh, so there's it really did it really simulated that dogfighter fantasy that was the whole core of the x-wing versus tie fighter experience and um that that was super exciting and it did feel as though increasingly it just became about gaming the cards or gaming the upgrades and uh yeah it just it's got it got way beyond me for example so for me this second edition is a chance to get back on board with it completely and hopefully from a, a place where everyone's learning at the same time mm. and uh, i'll have a chance again yeah and it's going to be it's going to be interesting because i'm used to a new wave of ships coming out and those ships release upgrade cards into the entire ecosystem mm. of the game and then everyone gets excited and mm. reapproaches old ships to see if anything's good now um that's going to happen to a pretty crazy degree because the way they're handling the way they're handling it so it's a new core set which you'd need in order to play second edition because the the new new templates but also um new dials new uh damage deck all of this stuff is important for the game um but also they're releasing um conversion kits for each of the existing factions that come with cards new cards and ship templates and bases and things and, and tokens for every single ship currently existing for those factions so if you play a particular faction then you know it is an expense but like and and i i completely understand if people just play on the kitchen table and they don't have a problem with 1.0 then this may be a little bit of a why should i spend oh yeah you know 50 60 so it's the core set is about 30 quid and the expansion sorry the conversion kits are 35 each yeah and 35 each for a box of card and cardboard pieces sounds like quite a lot from an x-wing point of view that's nuts value mm. because 35 quid is traditionally the price of a big ship expansion yeah which comes with maybe 20 one, cards and one ship and one ship and this is you know they don't come with the models mm. but they come with i think each one of them has upwards of 150 cards in it and it's new pilots for every single ship in the game right and also it represents a vast act of game design because mm. they've redesigned every single pilot and ship and upgrade in the game right so yeah, yeah. and the other thing they're doing which is taking uh after legion and i think it's a sign of ffg's approach generally is um they're changing it so that you will no longer need to buy um ships from factions you don't play to get every upgrade card oh, thank god so if you if you only want to play rebel for example and yeah. you just buy all of the rebel expansions you will have every card that rebels can use so there'll be nothing like random in a scum pack or something like that that mm. you'll find you need yeah which is super good news yeah agreed the other thing and this is probably the biggest thing in some ways because it's something i was asking for them to do for years was they have removed points costs mm. and upgrade slots from the cards with the pilots on them basically yeah. Yeah. this is a really big deal because changing printed material sucks basically and x-wing you know 
there's a there's a tension i think between ffg and gw schools of design hmm. where gw is kind of happy to have big books that you need the latest versions of for everything and you probably need to print it out faq as well for those books hmm. and those books change all the time right like the stormcast battle tome just went off went on to our last chance to buy because yeah. there's probably going to be a new one yeah and so those big lovely books become irrelevant from a, a rules point of view pretty regularly hmm. um, particularly for factions like space marines and stormcast and stuff yeah uh, X-Wing, uh, FFG games have really worked like that. They like to give you like printed cards for your units that you put next to the play space and you always have, you can always see, you know, what you've got, which is from a learning the game point of view is way friendlier than mm. having to leaf through a, a codex or a, yeah. or a battle tome. But it is nonetheless, it means that when something's wrong on those cards, sometimes the changes are pretty daunting, like, and it's really hard for them to reprint it. So what they've done is removed all the points costs from those cards and there'll be an app launched alongside X-Wing 2.0 where points costs, which will include a squad builder that will use the current proved mm. official points values and upgrade slots for given pilots. Yeah. And there's sort of talk of them allowing, and this is a really nice idea, talk of them al- of allowing uh, tournament runners to sort of like have specific, um, you know, uh, list building parameters that they send out to their players yeah so you know you you as a tournament show runner you could potentially say well we're going to remove uh all elite pilot talents from ships for this mm. tournament mm. go make us make a winning squad in this restriction yeah which feels super modern like that feels like you know i felt like ffg pushed gw to get better at stuff five years ago when x-wing came out became super popular and then gw have been on a really in terms of talking to the community in terms of offering faqs quickly all of that stuff FFG have been ahead basically of that mm. game for quite a long time and this I feel like is FFG pushing back the other way which yeah. is really healthy yeah it's super I love to see this trend of decentralizing rules control and saying that well if you think something is overpowered I mean, it's almost like I mean everyone's everyone house rules things but giving tournament uh, scenes the permission to just go we think that this type of turret build is boring so please don't bring that to this tournament here's yeah. the pack and just you can uh, giving you the freedom and almost the the authenticity of a, uh, an app created by the people who actually made the game also gives gives significant power to people to just control the game themselves. And why not? I mean, FFG obviously own the rule set and stuff, but why not give that control to people who who are most invested in your game and people who are hiring out massive halls and you know putting prize pools together and you know inviting people from all over the country and all over the world to play give them the power to control the rules a little bit i think that's a that's quite inspiring actually yeah indeed it got some kind of silly responses people worried that they were going to like suddenly change point costs midway through the world championships right and like invalidate people's squads on the way to the event and no like it's just a better way of putting out faq type information really yeah because to be honest with faqs and stuff like being able to change point values easily uh, forgoes a lot of the need for certain kinds of FAQs apart from certain clarifications. Because hmm. often, you know, people would rather like, you know, it's it, because that's necessary to nerf stuff because you can just make it more expensive <laughs> or ban it. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that solves that problem, right? Like, it does seem like, uh, uh, X-Wing is a very tight game on the tabletop in terms hmm. of, it's very clear when something is in arc or out of arc. It's very clear when something has a, yeah, sometimes it's a miracle of like <laughs> millimeters and everyone gets a laser pointer out and then yeah. four different people gather around with their laser pointers and no one can decide to roll dice for it. Yeah. But yes, you're right in principle. <laughs> in principle for the most part, it's, um, it's, 
actually very uh, it's a very clear game in many ways a lot of it is very mathsy it's, mm. it's a very very kind of it's in the dice a lot of the game and a lot of the kind of probability of it and that's the stuff that's the easiest to tweak with uh, little rules tweaks and FAQ tweaks um, the, the problem that um, Warhammer has which is a, a game with a, a vastly broad rule set with uh, all these thousands of war scrolls and different spells interacting you get this kind of crazy sandbox where uh, words can be semantically reinterpreted to do other things on the tabletop and it's like a different type of battle isn't it it's a different type of uh rules control yeah maths versus just got intentional intentionality of the rules i think like that that did coop into x-wing as well because um some things just weren't clear like i've already seen some of that stuff in the 2.0 stuff for age sigma which we can we can get to Mm. like um it it's the more well this is the thing when your rule set requires you to start introducing kind of exceptions and sort of like if then sort of stuff in mm. order to meaningfully diversify the new rules you're putting out then inevitably you open the door to kind of um confusion yeah and uh i think this is something we have a question about which we'll get to later but like and confusion inevitably leads to not distrust between players, but it allows players to interpret in the way that favors them. Mm. And that's really tricky socially, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there's a direct, I would argue there's a direct through line from overcomplicated rules writing to, um, not hostility necessarily, but the potential for hostility. Mm. And like, that's why these kinds of, it's not only why these kinds of overhauls are so exciting for all these game systems, but it's why it's so important or why I found it so heartening to have the developers make a statement like this. Like the sort of visual, visible, sorry, relief on their faces when they were announcing this. Mm. And I had a little bit of a peek behind the scenes, obviously, because I was out there working on a different project for them. Um, it was like, because, you know, I haven't seen this quite close up for GW, but like players will do absolutely anything, uh, to either justify or condemn a game that they're not happy about or happy about. Mm. And so like, I, you know, I think X-Wings meta has been pretty bad for quite a long time. Like it's gotten far, far away from the game that I really love. And, um, and you know, I, I would have been going to the European championships this week, but I'm just not interested. Mm. And 2.0 has almost given me a kind of weight off my shoulders. Cause it's like in September, the game's going to get better. Mm. So I don't need to play it for five months yeah. or whatever, not even five months now, three mm. months. You know, that's fine. Like, just, you know, let it go. And it's it's okay. And I can come back to it. My collection's still going to be valuable. It's not going to say like this forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that statement's really important. But the other thing it does is it gets out in, like, it gets out in front of the community and gives the community, again, a kind of shared sense of what the developers want the game to be, mm. which is actually quite important because a lot of this sort of rules argument stuff or like just player argument stuff in a mature game's life comes down to like one of the arguments you see a lot is like well this is the way the game is if you don't like it don't play it which i get but at the same time you kind of want to be able to dream of a better way right Mm. when x-wing was just people being shot with harpoon missiles and bombs and turrets and it's like i feel like we've lost something because neither x-wings nor tie fighters are viable in this game called x-wing you get you know what i mean it's sort of you create a tension in the community where people between people who are still okay playing the game as it is and people who have checked out but desperately want it to change. Yeah. And so having the developers just come along and say, guess what? It's going to be this now is good. I think universally, because it means one way or another, it gives everybody a common sense of yeah. what they're investing in. Just knowing that there can be a new edition as well is very, yeah. very useful. So that it's felt like the problem, I don't know really, but it just isn't to you, Chris, like seemed like the problem was that it felt like it was going to like just go on and on and on and just sort of like go gradually into the bin uh, yes. over the course of a decade and just knowing that there can be a refresh in five years if needed i mean that's surely a hopeful thing for people who whenever you know something goes wrong 
Yeah, they've given themselves the apparatus to make that change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the least, um, in terms of impact on players, it's probably the least damaging way for them to do it with releasing these conversion kits with cards for everything in them, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a straight, that's a big problem they gave themselves, right? Like, yeah. you know, if you, if you try and respect all existing printed stuff, then, uh, which Age of Sigma is trying to do basically, mm. then you risk not fixing anything at all because stuff that's broken on those cards will stay broken. They'll stay there forever. Mm. Um, but if you throw all that stuff out, then are you throwing away people's collections for them? Mm. That's, you know, and that's, uh, the old school sort of, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle to Age of Sigma problem. And I think threading this middle line where there are relatively affordable, pretty comprehensive upgrade kits that get you everything mm. is a pretty good solution. The people it hurts, I think, are people with <laughs> moderate sized collections. Like, I think, I think you're in a tricky position, for example, Don, because you've got some stuff. You've got more than just a corset, mm. but less than like one of everything, which is where I'm at with Rebels and Imperials. Yeah. So for me, those Rebel and Imperial, uh, I'm getting maximal value from those conversion kits for Rebels and Imperials because I have every ship they have cards for. If you decided to pick up a scum conversion kit, you'll obviously get new stuff for everything you have, but you don't have everything. Mm. So you're going to get loads of cards that you don't have the ships for and so on. Yeah. Which is sort of, it becomes more a different value call, I think. So it's but not perfect. I, I think it's, I mean, f- from my perspective, uh, I would happily play any faction. I think all the factions are exciting. Uh, but I like the idea of just being able to buy a scum pack. And I don't mind having the excess cards. I just want to know that my Slave One and my little kind of like robot ships and all the, all the scum ships I have, the toilet seat, they're, they're going to get new rules and actually be viable again. I'll pay 35 pounds just to make them relevant again so I can play the game again. Yeah. I think it's, um, you mentioned earlier, like this perspective of like, if you don't like it, don't play it. The, the problem with that is that there's no game like, X-Wing. There's no game with the... the well, there few. is Star Trek Attack Wing. <laughs> okay, yeah. Which is the uh, same game, but broken. There are, <laughs> there are very few games with that following in that type of tournament scene and um, with that type of atmosphere. And and it's like leaving a, a sort of cool hobby family that you've made. Like, it's, yeah. Walking away from these games isn't just like, oh, if you don't, it's not like a computer game where you, oh, let's put it down and play one of the other million first-person shooters out there. It's a whole community and, you know, you've bought models and invested and you... This is, I don't, I don't want to kind of like make it okay that players feel entitled a lot, but pe- people should feel a little bit entitled to an ongoing kind of living game service yeah. for that type of game. It's, it's, it's funny. And I, I think, you know, Warhammer's very similar and I can understand when people get upset when things change a lot. Um, X-Wing for me was my way into this kind of thing. Yeah. And I, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here recording a predominantly Warhammer podcast, honest, if, if it hadn't been for that game. Mm. And it also was like the first thing that I did really that helped me make like substantial amounts of friends that weren't colleagues of right. some kind, yeah. right? Like you get to your thirties, it's not easy to yeah, it's make friends that you don't. Yeah. yeah. Like, and so I made, you know, tons of friends in Bristol and sort of that I would never have met otherwise. Yeah. And now I feel like I feel bad because I've stopped going to X-Wing events really, but I'd like, I go, when I go, I go simply because I will see people there Yeah. and I don't have a huge amount of fun playing the game. Um, and there's tons of things that go into that. And a lot of my friends, that I, I respect the most as players have stopped playing outright, which means you don't even see them there. Mm. So the, the rule set, uh, I would think becoming substantially less interesting, um, has a real social consequence for people. Like it's not, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, you know, for me, it's like, it's not just great. This game I'm technically interested in is getting overhauled. It's like, like I'm getting my friends back. <laughs> it's 2016 again, 2015 yeah. again, everybody like that's, you know, um, that's a big deal. Like, yeah. and I can, you know, it's, 
yeah, it's just really, really, really super exciting. Also, we perhaps haven't mentioned the most exciting thing about X-Wing 2.0, which is the new X-Wings can go into attack position. They can, yeah, which, yeah, and the actual miniature has and opening and closing. Moves and you can go from like X-Wing attack position to, it's just the nerdiest thing ever, Chris, and I fucking love it. Look, this, <laughs> um, I, you know, if, if, if we did a podcast about pen and paper role playing, I could probably say that, and I, I maybe might some, I run a Star Wars role playing campaign and it's been going on for just over a year now. And I, I dish out little important Star Wars quotes as almost like treats, mm. like once a season. Yeah. And so we got at the end of the first season that we did, sort of the first arc, first campaign took most of the year, you know, I finally kind of like <laughs> sort of got to the, like, made them really wait for the things exiting hyperspace moment. <laughs> yeah. But nothing has, no one has said yet as falls in attack position. Mm. And that's because that's got to be fucking choice it's when it happens. Good. It's got to be And good. the fact that they're adding that to X-Wing is only a good thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's coming to 1.0 in the next expansion, um, but in a very kind of, it's not core to the game, which it, I think it will be mm. in, in 2.0, which right. is as it should be. Yeah. What do yeah. X-Wings do? Yeah. They go, <laughs> and then, <laughs> They shoot different. You shoot four times. <laughs> shoot twice as much. Um, four guns now. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, know, I, know. <laughs> like, I love it though. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. It is just like, there is really no reason why it would help <laughs> no. or not. It's like, more accurate when you've got two guns, but more cool. But it doesn't even change the number of guns. It changes the firing pattern. Ah, uh, right. Oh, so they all fall at the same. They, they fire, fire at a convergent point. Uh, yeah. Okay. A, like, yeah. So like scatter. Make, make it more accurate. They're faster when they're closed. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because that's how air resistance. Oh, wait. Oh, <laughs> well, is this space. is the thing about Star Wars. Star Wars makes sense if everything is very, very, very small mm. and it's all happening underwater. <laughs> like, you know, um, you know, this is completely off topic, but go see Solo with that in mind. And you're like, yeah, oh, this yeah. does make sense. I need to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. We should get off Star Wars, but like, I'm super excited about that and it will like, you know, maybe one of the reasons that, um, Minis Monthly has been predominantly the Age of Sigmar thing is because the beginning of this podcast, uh, like 16 months ago, which is nuts, hmm. coincided with the beginning of my waning X-Wing enthusiasm. Yeah. But now I'm back in. I'm back in. I'm very yeah. excited. I'm excited too. I'm very excited. The other thing I'm extremely excited about, and I feel like I'm teasing now with Age of Sigmar 2.0, but I do <laughs> want to talk about this briefly, is Adeptus Titanicus. Yeah, yeah. Because this was announced at Warhammer Fest alongside Age of Sigmar 2.0. Mm-hmm. And I have, uh, I feel the same way about it now as I felt about Shadespire this time last year. It's that thing I can't stop talk- thinking about that I really, 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 really want. Mm. I don't know if you got that from it at all. Not with Titanicus at all, until I saw the adorable mini knight, uh, mm. which is about the size of a Colonel Hunter, which is about, I don't know, three inches tall by the looks of it, like three or four I th- inches. I think they, I think they are, I think they're closer to Stormcast size. Oh, okay. So they're actually Because they're on 40 mil bases. Oh, okay. But there, it was adorable, and I immediately wanted to paint it. And knights are the coolest thing in 40k, pretty yes, much. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be said. Um, yeah, so I just, Titanicus sounds awesome. And also, they just announced a Renegade as well, which is the new knight versus knight box yeah. set they're bringing back, which, like, if you want some cheap knights, apparently that's the way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's to go along with the um, knights codex, which no. is coming out for 40k. Yeah. But yeah, just, Titanicus is different, a different proposition, isn't it? So it's, this is 8 mil scale Titan on Titan action heresy era isn't it at first at first um so it means warlord titans which are those child-sized robots we were talking about a couple months ago um but rather than spending thousands of pounds for a child-sized robot you pay some amount of pounds for one that'll be about the same size as an imperial knight i think because eight mil scale means that basically 
uh it's a basically like 10 centimeters is about 150 feet mm. so a like you can you're talking city blocks and um you know uh, and and indeed that's the terrain they're putting out the plastic terrain yeah. like Horus Heresy era imperial world buildings and stuff <laughs> it looks super cool yeah, yeah, it looks really really cool love the idea of um a battletech style granular mech combat game uh, yeah but with games workshops awesome giant robots i just like so rumor is that it's out in august mm. my birthday's in august <laughs> and like so they're saying it's going to be expensive they are saying it's going to be expensive which is like, <laughs> yeah dumb <laughs> yeah. and it, if it's into that sort of like half forge world half gw i think that's what it's going to be isn't it um thing like necromunda where it'll be like plastic models from games workshop mm. plus forge world resin add-on bits um but the the big that and the and the rules and the models come separately which is interesting but the huh. big box they're doing is includes um i think it's two warlord titans oh, wow. and six knights wow that's way more than i thought they put in uh, which is i think two factions i yeah. think that's you know you're supposed to do one and one okay, but actually i would probably just do them all the same <laughs> i really want to paint them like that's the yeah. thing like i like i wanted to paint knights but i don't have an imperial army in 40k for knights to plug into really mm. and it's a quite a big investment obviously it's all a big investment painting a titan at the scale of a knight is almost perfect yeah for that i just yeah why not real bad and like there's um i bought um horus heresy book seven uh in a big you know hardback oh, yeah, mega yeah. mega tome uh last year during my thousand sons mania hmm. and i haven't really used any part of it but there's a description of it, 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 it devotes maybe six seven pages to its description of a kind of lesser known titan legion that was based on prospero during the burning of prospero hmm. and it's the titans having to fight in the burning of prospero and it's literally there for the for the type of in pretty deep forge world hobbyist hmm. who's like well i have my i have you know eight thousand points of resin thousand suns I really need to add a Titan to this, but what color are those Titans? If only a big book that costs 80 pounds would come along and tell me Ooh. what color to paint my thousand pound child sized <laughs> robot. And the answer is purple. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like that information, like it's, it's a lavish lore and it's connected to a, a Mechanicum Forge world that I really like the story of and de- you know, really, you know, detailed um, background writing by the late Alan Bly, who's doing all of this stuff. And like, it's a fantastic bit of, supporting material for a part of that hobby that i would never otherwise interact with right i'm never going to get a titan otherwise but suddenly Mm. this game might be an opportunity to just do that like i'll make that you know that titan legion as a as an adeptus titanicus project which you know yeah it's just basically purple mechs is what i'm going to be painting that's great great. yeah I'd, I'd, i'd love to see their um warlord titan they're night-sized Warlord Titan models. I'd, I'd love to. I've, they tease them at all? They've shown them. Oh, excellent. I, I, I think I'm thinking it's right. It's Warlord, and then the smaller ones are Reapers and Warhounds. Because hmm. Reapers and Warhounds are coming. Warlords are the big ones, I believe. Huh. That's They've shown the biggest end of the spectrum and the smallest end of the spectrum. They've okay. shown the Knights and, and the, the, Titans. the big, big, big boys. Excellent. Um, but yeah, so like the scale is basically like a knight is about the same size as a stormcaster or primar space marine, mm. and uh warlord titan is about the same size as a current imperial knight. Oh, rad. That's badass. So like that's the scale they're working with. It's 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 dead exciting. Like I know it's a totally kind of frivolous thing to get into a new game system, but I'm like, really, <laughs> like, yeah, that's super cool. I don't even really like. 
I think I just want to build the models and do the dioramas more than and build the terrain more than I want to play it. Although it sounds really cool, mm. it's like my interest is first and foremost. Like maybe it's being into loving mechware as well. There's that element of like just yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, scale as well. Yeah, like big big stuff. I love the idea of them putting out these kind of plastic cityscapes as well, which seems mm. to be like integral to it. Actually, like yeah, that core box comes with two boxes of them, I think, as well. Oh well, yeah, like, God, so, that's gonna yeah. be. What I think I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll get that core box one way or another, I think, and then, um, provided it doesn't sell out or anything, and then we can play it with just using that set. Yeah, right. Same feel That'd about be amazing. Yeah. Be a lot of fun. Hmm. Very, very excited. <laughs> Should we talk about Age of Sigma second edition? It's the big news, isn't it? It is. So, yeah. So as if, you know, good things coming in twos, second editions for both games in one month, both games that I care about. Um, there's so much to talk about. I don't really know where to start. We should, we could get into rules or we could talk about the new setup. So there's, there's a new box that says the new box is going to be a new chamber of Stormcast Eternals, which obviously I'm delighted about. Yep. Uh, a sacrosanct chamber. Sacrosanct chamber. Stormcast is going to be getting some wizards. You're going to get some cloaks, which is the sort of thing I was thinking about green stuffing my guy, the law hunters vizier. I was going to mention like this. Like if, if, if they were going to, if I was going to like, design a Stormcast, cha- Stormcast chamber to represent the Law Hunters Vizier, they would look exactly like... You <laughs> described this to me. When the, I think it was the first time we ever played a game of Age of Sigmar together. You said that what you would like maybe to do one day is liberators that had, like, cloaks or hoods or robes. Yeah. A bit like Dark Angels. Like That's how I was imagining yeah, them in that's my right. head. Yeah, right? that's how I always thought about it. Um, and and here we are. They, and it's it's exactly, and they look fucking amazing. The the models are great. I'm so excited about the new Stormcast chamber. Uh, I know that it's it's the old space marine thing where, of course, the Stormcaster the, are always going to get more models than everyone else because it's the kind of mm. they're the they're kind of poster faction of of Age of Sigma. Um, but you should collect some because <laughs> then you're always going to be well served. Uh, and, but I, I, I'm really excited because it means that I, I get to have a magic phase now as well. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Too, which, is, which means I actually get to interact with like Zinch a bit more. And um, it just gives the Stormcast a bit more variety and uh, makes their, the new battle line units particularly a more interesting than just liberators and stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about having more variety in, in my already very well service, served army. But um, mm. yeah, that's awesome. But uh, it's not just them. The new... Big bad is the night haunt. Mm. Nagash's uh, rabid ghost forces are now the Stormcast's sort of main target. So the, the all this the malign portents have happened. Uh, all these spirits have been unleashed from Nagash's dungeon. Nagash is on the warpath. He's he's going to take Sigmar on head on in this war of souls. And so the new box is going to be his night haunt ghosties fighting uh, magical Stormcast wizards. And the new night haunt models. Uh, really sweet i really like them yeah. a lot and i can't wait to paint them up they're really really nice uh, so that's what that's sort of the reset that's the new box and mm-hmm. that's this is what my importance has been leading up to and uh i mean i was complaining a few months back about there being no new death models even though legions and gash is a good book and now it sort of all makes sense now like yeah. all the my importance everything they've done teasing uh since last christmas like it all makes sense now with the, the new direction they're going to go in and this is going to coincide with uh, a rules update that seems more subtle than a total overhaul, but mm. nonetheless very important in the f- significant changes it makes. Yeah, um, and we can, I guess we should get into some of the new the new systems. Yeah, we should do because I guess it all loops back. Because I mean, I think I, I said like last month or a couple of months ago that I'd be surprised if Stormcast didn't get wizards because we we're all expecting magic to get an overhaul. For sure, yeah, and so you know because the poster faction gets to play with the toys basically. Mm, yeah, 
Um, so I guess, so the big, I really want to get into like some of the more, more granular changes, but I think the flagship change is magic yep. in terms of uh, what's going on with it. Mm. And this is actually kind of amazing news, um, for both of us because I, obviously I have a Zine Charmy and a Zine Charmy relies very heavily on magic, but magic can feel like a kind of one-sided and not particularly interactive system. Mm. Something I want to get onto and talk about the games I played recently. I actually don't feel that magic in its current age of Sigma is really any different in terms of its damage output than a lot of other special things units can do in different phases, yeah. right? There are units that are extremely dangerous in shooting. There are units that are extremely dangerous in the combat phase. The difference with magic has always been that it's slightly one-sided unless both armies are completely loaded up with wizards. And unless basically there's two zinch armies, hmm. in which case, yeah, they're constantly unbinding each other and doing crazy things, but actually very other, very few other armies interact with it in the same way. Yeah. Um, and that's changing in two ways. Um, <coughs> One, um, so uh, the, the flagship one being, uh, what are called endless spells. So this is what we saw a couple of months ago when we saw that spooky purple coughing, um, Pokemon it was actually the purple moon of Shaish, mm. or Zarius as it used to be called. Um, and so these are spells that summon a, a model, a, a, a spell model. Like we've seen a big mouth. We've seen lightning balls and. The spooky moon, like a crystal wall barricade thing. Yeah. The Bailwind Vortex is reportedly becoming one of these and losing its existing rules, yeah, which is very good. Completely rewritten, which is yeah. great for the game. It's very good for the game. And, um, and these are really interesting because, so they do stuff when they touch units, basically. So the example is the big ball that flies around and kills things, basically. But what that means, um, in practical terms is, you know, you cast it. You get to move it around. Enemy wizards can try and get rid of it by unbinding it, but both players get to move it on their turns, even if you have no wizards, which is really nice because it'll mean that when these spells are in play, um, dealing with them becomes a kind of game of ping pong that's happening (laughs) in addition to the game of Age of Sigma you're otherwise playing. Yeah, it's very true for double turns as well, and you can get Mm. a double move with the big mortal wound spell or something like that and put it back into the enemies you ranks it's very interesting yeah precisely because it's you know it's on your like you know it's and this is what's so cool about it for me is it gives it puts those spells under the control of both players Mm. which is a really cool additional layer to the game it gives them a reason to be spells rather than like a summoned unit that runs around us they can be dispelled as well and stuff which is important um dispelling uh radius is being boosted to a flat 30 inches for everybody yeah which is massive yeah that is it's 18 inches at the moment and like i think zinch has access to a like a um command ability that extends it to 27 so that'll have to change because otherwise yeah. that's just a dead bit of rule mm. um but um that's a really big deal because it means that there's more counterplay for magic because 18 inches is really short range. Yeah, it is. And you know, that's pretty much comfortable, close to comfortable charge range for most forms of cavalry. Yeah. It means that your wizards are always putting themselves in quite extreme danger in order to counter your opponent's wizards. Not just to do the basic thing a wizard should be able to do as well. It should be a thing they should uh, most of the time be able to do if they're in a vaguely sensible position. Mm. It's such a good, it's such an obvious and good change. And I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Um, and it also comes with like quite a lot of changes to, uh, so tons of new spells by the looks of things. Yeah. 
um, that are realm specific. It feels like realms are becoming quite a big feature of the game. Yeah. We haven't seen a lot about that yet, but it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'd really be really interested to see to what extent this is confined to narrative play or match play. Because mm. um, it's, but it seems like such a big deal that it might actually become part of match play. You might have to declare a, a realm before a battle starts or something like that. We'll have to yeah, see. so there's those more like generic artifacts that can be taken if you're in a specific realm, that mm. kind of thing. This I find really interesting because so. Malign Portents introduced lots of interesting new rules like the cards and the important system and things like that. You and I played with it once. Yeah. I really like that system. Yeah. But I don't think it ever saw play at a tournament. Mm. And that's not to say that tournament play, I think there's a, there's a temptation to see matched play or tournament play as the only way of playing that matters. Um, and I don't think that's true. No. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to only play like that. However, I, I really want something like a realm system to be adopted by events and to become core to the game but i can there's a there's a i i I haven't seen enough yet but there's a there's a narrow like a tightrope needs to be walked here because if it's too unimpactful then obviously it's not you know then it doesn't do anything for the game if it's too complicated to implement or too one-sided or too swingy to be left with dice roll for example then people just will cut the system out Mm. and all games will take place in the realm of normal where nothing is swings one way or the other yeah i feel like that's you know like i really want to see them get it right because i'd like to see that level of interest happen Mm. and i'd like to see players planning for how to play in different realms for example where different spells are going to be in effect but it is a potential force multiplayer in terms of how complicated the game gets as well yeah that's very true i mean you could sort of see like tournaments going oh round one is realm of fire and it's this scenario round two is realm of death and it's this scenario and yeah but then um by the sounds of it one of the death spells got significantly more powerful for being in the realm of death so that's almost like an arbitrary bump for a particular faction in that so well we don't know enough quite to really so get into it the, the spells the spells they've revealed that are affected by the realms are the ones that are available to everybody yeah okay so the purple moon which is the oh, big mortal wounds spell anyone can do it if, if you're in that realm if you're in the realm of death it moves faster uh, for everybody right. okay um the okay. other one they showed yeah. which is a, it's like crazy good for me like this spell is nuts is this is the mirror one the mirror yeah so it's it's the realm of shadows spell mm. which is like mirror of shadows probably <laughs> um and what that does is you place a mirror within nine inches of the caster or something like that and then the other mirror within 18 inches of that first mirror and then when the caster casts a spell you can cast whatever they're casting at the first mirror mm. and then measure distance for its effect from the other mirror this is massive for zinch because range is my biggest issue right like deadly deadly magic 18 inch bubble for a lot of it it's the reason the bail wind which doubles my spell range in its current iteration is so, so important useful. for that yeah. army mm. because you know it's a squishy army and 18 inches is dead range for a lot of things so like you know that's an important thing if you're if that game is taking place in the realm of shadows you can place the second mirror any way you want, <laughs> right, which yeah. basically suddenly means you have a way of deep striking magic. Mm. It means, I mean, I love this idea. I think it's, I think it's super themey. I like the idea that this m- m- mirror appears and Lord of Change starts just like Justifiable sucking series. people into space through it. Okay, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's on the other side of the map, like a kind of bizarre deep striking mm. where like just the magic that reaches through. That's super neat. There's already a Zinch Battalion that sort of does this and then they nerfed it because it allowed Lords of Change to project their magic through any group of flamers, which I quite liked as an idea because flamers are underused anyway. So you might as well give them a thing they do. But um, but yeah, I love that stuff. And this idea that they get more powerful than the realms is 
you know, interesting because it backfires potentially for everybody. And the other thing about those mirrors is they work both ways. So if I put a mirror in your back line, you have wizards, you can then start throwing spells through it back the <laughs> yeah, other way. Yeah, that's crazy. So, like... Or to spell it. I mean, that's, this is always the thing for me. Like, as long as there's a counter to it... Yeah. Um, I, it, like, these things obviously can be exploited, but um, it's amazing. Like, it, the changes they've made have such massive repercussions for how the game's going to be played. It's going to be become a different game even though yeah they don't have, they don't have to rewrite loads of war scrolls but just the things that they've already talked about is are going to be absolutely huge yeah so i'm, su- I'm serious about that because i think it will genuinely make our games more exciting i'm interested to see how they end up selling the models for those spells. yeah because yeah. this is another thing if it's a separate expansion that everyone kind of has to buy mm. to participate in the magic system then i just don't know how that's going to work but equally i don't want it to be in the new core set because i'm quite happy that i don't want anything in the core set apart from the book no yeah yeah i can almost imagine them selling doing a big box of uh magic spells that's like 40 50 quid or whatever and you get loads of them and then selling them individually as blister packs if you happen to be running orcs and you want the sort of gnashy bone teeth thing and then you know pay 15 quid for that or whatever yeah and, i mean i really like the models i love the idea of models being uh magic being represented in models on the tabletop and uh some of them sound super cool so there's um one that's each i think well, a lot of anyone could do it i guess but this sounds like a zinch one like called cogs of time oh yeah uh, oh this is crazy yeah which is nuts and um basically a a wizard summons this and then sort of administers it and it can be dispelled as well but as long as it's on the battlefield the wizard can channel it one way or the other and it can either slow down time uh, or speed up time and speeding up time means everything moves and charges faster everything not just your army but everything in your enemy's army also does as well which might suit might suit you in certain circumstances but you can also slow down time and cast extra spells as well um depending on which way you want to your wizard wants to to do that yeah I like the idea of like speeding up time when you're facing a gun line and right, they, they yeah, don't yeah. want to move and suddenly you, you want to get your zangle running faster yeah. and you speed up time here. Yeah. Um, I, cause of the cogs of time thing, I wonder if that's one of the realm of metal spells. Mm. Cause that's, you know, potentially good for me with my realm of metal themed zinc army and yeah, my yeah, realm of so metal themed board and my. And these models are going to be awesome. Like the, I already, the ones they've teased already just in little screenshots in the Warhammer community site look super super cool yeah they're gonna be a challenge to paint as well if you you've got to learn how to paint energy effects <laughs> yeah thank god i've been doing that for a long time like, <laughs> yeah it's like, yeah. some green fire yeah no yeah worries. i think I, I think they'll also be kind of forgiving to paint as well this mm, is true so I, well i think it'll be possible to do a nice job they kind of remind me of the new night haunt in that way like they're putting out new technical paints that are basically just like ghost, just it. ghost in a pot just dip it <laughs> exactly for sure yeah very dippable ghost um, but i think you know i think most of the new spells you'd get away with spray it white put a glaze over it yeah, you're sure. done now yeah sure, <laughs> like sure. um that's probably fine um but equally you can do more with them i think like I, I i i think there's loads of potential for like as long as you get the right base size doing like custom versions for your yeah. army like that yeah, kind of thing that's like, a cool idea you know i think purple sun kind of describes what it needs to look like quite a bit but mm. like for other things like the potential to do cool mm. um different takes on what that particular spell looks like for you is is super neat that's like, super nice. like this is what i wanted to do in my lord of change's space like he's ripping that hole in space time on his base because that's his spell and mm-hmm. i kind of wanted like i've tried so many different things to make my nonsense hero phase fun for the other player <laughs> but one of them was like it's fun if you visualize it right like i'm you know i, I don't like i played against quite a few competitive agency more players recently and I kind of want to know when I'm playing against an army I haven't seen before. I want to know what the spell's called and mm. I want to know what it technically does because the rules always go into quite a lot of like evocative detail about how the spell works. Yeah. But people sort of skip past that to the pick a unit and D6 mortal wounds or whatever it is, right? Yeah. But I always want to like emphasize like 
So my Lord of Change tends to cast Gateway followed by Zinch's Firestorm. Mm. So first thing is not, you know, they both do mortal wounds, but the first one is like ripping holes to the realm of chaos and chucking people through them. And the second one is setting people on fire. Mm. And that distinction is important to me because <laughs> I think I want you to be able to visualize it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I want to know what happened to the dude that got sent through a big space hole or whatever. Yeah. Um, so having the models just, yeah, you're right. Makes that way realer. It's going to be an interesting, so I've still don't know what happens if one of those models ends up in the middle of a unit. Yeah. And that's not quite clear. It's like a template effect, basically, that moves over units and anything it comes into contact with that tends to do mortal wounds. That seems to be a theme for a certain type of endless spell or predatory spell or whatever it is they're calling them. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like, where, where do you balance that if it's just in the middle of a big unit as angle? Like, uh, does it stay there? Does it push people away? Does it move to, straight to the other side of the unit, which would probably be the way to do maybe it? So, yeah, maybe. Like, if it connects to the unit, you just keep going in a straight line to get to the other side, yeah, maybe? I don't know. So that, there's a lot of this kind of rule, rules, yeah. lawyery stuff to be, mm. to be revealed. Also, from a fiction point of view, I love, did you read the thing about why they're endless now? Um, so, it's because magic's out of control. The gash, yeah. the gash changed something. Now magic can't die. <laughs> right. <laughs> so wizards have to go out as bounty hunters to stop rogue spells. Yeah, that's right. That's that so won't cool. stop going, which yeah. is like, yeah, apparently there's something called like the Slayer Sword that just goes across one of the realms and it's just fated. It's just like a legendary thing that just comes and kills stuff. Yeah, it's just and there, there's all these wizards hunting it down trying to fuck, stop it. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like a exactly. runaway train. It's like, it's yeah, and then speed. the wizard originally cast it chasing after going, sorry, no, or like I'm that, trying. you know, that, that like, the, the Fenton dog guy, yeah. <laughs> like chasing his Labrador off. Yeah. Like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> Christ, <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ, stop, Fenton, <laughs> um, <laughs> gnashing more. <laughs> um, basically, that. Also, I want to say with Stormcast getting wizards, mm. where the fuck is Balthazar Gelt? Oh yeah, think about it. Mm. Emp- Imperial Sigma sort of flavored hero wizard. That looks the most like a Stormcast. Yeah. Of anybody in the old world. Hmm. Where the fuck has he gone? I appreciate he probably felt quite guilty or Balthazar guilt guilty <laughs> after making a bad wall. I can't remember exactly what happened during the end times. Yeah. But I think he did a bad wall, but nonetheless, right? This felt like a, you know, this is really did feel like the time. Maybe, maybe Sigma did not consider him worthy. No, maybe not. And instead, uh, decided to choose men with handlebar moustaches exclusively for his <laughs> new army of uh, war machine administrators. Well, you say that, but one thing that's really cool about Stormcast Range we didn't mention is the much better male-female ratio of yeah, everything sure. in that range. Yeah, definitely. Um, in which, fact, the, the, only, um, the only exception is the, the crew for the new Ballista. And the Lord... I think there's, the there's, 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 there's uh, two types of new hero. There's a, I wrote it down, Knight in Cantor. <laughs> um, and I think they have shown both male and female versions of that character, mm. but there's also the Lord Arcanum. Okay. Is this the one on a, on a, he's on a thing, hippogriff, Hip- uh, hip- uh, chocobo, uh, chocobo, um, yeah. The thing you just painted. Griff Char, no, J- Ether, not Griff Charger. Strike, Chicken. Bird. It's Boy. A horse. Let's just call it a horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Horse. A horse. The like, thing on a horse. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, like we need like a symbol, like, like Prince had, mm. but it means horse. Artist. But like, yeah, formerly known as beast. Horse. Yeah. Quadrupedal conveyance creature. I have a theory, uh, based on the new nine taunt models that 
uh, the reason there are no horses in Age of Sigma mm. is because uh, Nagash, Lord of the Undead, has been hoarding all the horse souls, and <laughs> only the Undead are allowed to ride, ho- ride horses. Because the the sort of general of the Nighthaunt has a big, old, spooky, an enormous horse. Yeah, just a really big horse, like about five horse souls worth of horse in one creature. Mm. So I think I think that's what's happened here. So uh, the Stormcast would ride horses, but Nagash, Nagash all the horse one. souls. He's got the horse. How do you explain Chaos Knights? Uh, maybe some, maybe the few corn, maybe for corn as a few horses. Horses can go corn, I think. Yeah. Horses for corn <laughs> says? No, it doesn't work. That's not very no, close. Um, okay. The Varangard, they're on spooky horses. Yeah. I w- hesitate. Say. Like, I wouldn't call a Griff Charger a horse. No. And I wouldn't call a Varangard thing a horse. It's just a kind of horrifying construct that. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a fair. Construct. Yeah. You're right. I, I think maybe what you do is you just agree to call them all horses. I all think horses. this is like the end yeah, of that argument. Yeah. You just, just call horse. it a horse. It's a horse. Just look your opponent dead in the eye and say, that's a horse. It's time to I don't roll know what you're talking the about. horse's attacks. <laughs> exactly. Just stare dead in the eye. Can we make a commitment to this to now and here and now? Yeah. From now on. It's the horse. The horse. Yeah. It's making the attacks. <laughs> yes, it has a beak. What's up? Yeah, yeah. If I ever do Archaeon, that's a horse. And technically, that even is a horse. Because yeah. Dorgar... Was a horse. Was a horse. became a chaos demon and started eating He, he ate souls, three right? greater demons. That's impressive for a he horse. Ate, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. horse has gone far. He ate far. a bloodthirster, he ate a great and clean one, and he ate a lord of change. What a hungry, hungry horse. <laughs> he is a hungry, hungry horse. <laughs> this is because really... each of the, um, well, the three chaos gods all sent a champion... Mm. To slay Archaon and his horse ate all of them. <laughs> they didn't even get, they didn't get past the first mini boss. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, and for each horse he eats, uh, he gains a head. That explains That's a right. lot. Yeah, he eats a lot of people. He ate a Stormcast as well at one point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> reason. Yeah. Um, like, yes, that is nonsense, is the, um, is the answer there. When we, when you finish your Star Horse, Star Drake horse. Hmm. Do we call that a horse as well? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just a very large flying horse. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Uh, good. Um, I, what were we talking about? It's really good that they've got mixed gender stormcast units. Yes, that's excellent. Um, <laughs> it's really, really cool. And actually, um, I think the solution they've gone with, uh, largely is to make the stormcast a bit more androgynous and just, it's quite, almost like hard to tell with the battle line. There are slight, yeah. slight differences, but for the most part, they're all just like armored. Warriors and that there are just slight changes that you might, you might imply means this is a female soul cast or a female. That's a very sonorous. Yeah, I just like punched a glass of water there. That was nice. But it made a beautiful sound. Mm. Um, yeah, and, um, there's, there are like, uh, female banshees, I think, in the Night Army, but also they're f- fucking ghosts. They're just bin bags <laughs> over a sword. Yeah. You, they, yeah. you can, they can be, be anything, right? you, they can be anything. Um, so, like, yeah, and the, um, I, I think between this and the Eidneth, last month or mm. whenever this is the trend moving in the yeah, right direction definitely like absolutely exactly. moving in the right direction particularly after the sort of iffy daughter to cane thing mm. which is sort of you know like it can't stop there right like it's what we we're saying at the time is it has to move on to like you know you know female characters in every part of the game yeah, not yeah. just in this army of elves with no clothes on and that's yeah it's super good like yeah, it, you know nice. not hopefully it will just keep getting more like this basically That'd yeah, be nice. hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really nicely done. I'm really, like, they're, they've avoided a lot of pitfalls with, um, that type of design as well. Like, the Stormcats are a big sort of automata, really, and they've, they've mm. simply applied that. It, they haven't really changed that, anything about that to make female Stormcasts. They're just, they fit right in. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, also, they did add, um, I think they're called 
castigators, which are the new ranged unit that have a crossbow that fire maces. Oh yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of yeah. time to pause on the actual individual details of who this model is because the weapons are ridiculous. Now. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, these maces have, um, a crystal full of star, a star, uh, no, not star Drake. Dracos breath. Horse breath. Horse breath. <laughs> yeah, they've got bases full of horse breath that they shoot at enemies now, and which are kind of like a ranged concussion uh, thing. They're grenade launchers. They're grenade launchers, yeah. <laughs> Fantasy grenade launchers, powered by horses. Um, we should talk about some of the other rule changes, because yeah. there's actually quite a lot more. Yeah, so, there's, there's um, so, uh, change, so I was really glad to not see the double turn go. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very important Age of Sigmar thing. It I think it's something it. that new players often find a bit like, whoa, what the fuck? You just get to go twice. Right. But actually it's great. Hmm. And the change to that, however, is... um, So they haven't clarified how rolling off for the first turn works. And I really hope they address that for the reasons we'll get to. But in subsequent turn roll-offs, um, it's a really simple change. Whoever went first last time wins ties. Yeah. Um, which means that you are slightly less likely to get a double turn, mm. basically. Because, I mean, we know you roll, we roll, both roll one at the same time quite a lot. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so basically all it does is make double turns slightly less likely. And there are other things, the magic system and the spell system interacts with this as well to make double turns slightly less desirable. Mm. So it's just a tweak. It's not a, like throwing the system out. It just, it makes them slightly less important without taking away the potential impact that they can have, which is super cool. Yeah, I think they are an important part of the identity of the game. And uh, actually, like, having a regular turn system does create problems in 40k and stuff, which mm. they struggle with, and AOS doesn't in the same way. And it's just a part of the game that you learn to play around. I think it is um, it is odd still, but I think it's an important part of what AOS is. So I'm glad to see they didn't throw it out, and I'm glad to see they haven't introduced ways of manipulating turn order explicitly which was uh, what kairos used to be able to do for zinch and it caused all sorts of terrible imbalance problems with yeah it just became ridiculous if you're able to control that utterly then that's terrible so yeah i think it's, it's nice for them to keep it just slightly adjusted yeah um <clears throat> the other really cool change um which we actually talked about because it was a rumor that was true mm. which is the addition of command points to age of sigma yeah. but instead of the 40k system of using them for re-rolls it sounds like you'll have fewer and they'll be used for more specific things. Yeah. So everybody gets one command point per turn. Um, you start the game with an extra one for every war scroll battalion you take. Mm. And my hope is that this is a replacement for war scroll battalions having anything to do with you going first. Right. I really hope they're going to change. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think, yeah, that's my hope, but we'll see. Um, and, um, and you also get, you can also basically, didn't word it this way, but you can functionally spend 50 points to get one because you get an extra one for every 50 points you haven't spent out of the cap. Yeah. But that basically means there's a thing that costs 50 points now, which is really useful for a lot of armies because it's, there's, that's an awkward points value. Like yeah. you get, you build a lot of lists where you end up at 940 points yeah, or whatever. Definitely. And it's like, I'll just have a command point. Yeah. What these allow you to do is, um, uh, first and foremost, trigger any command ability in your army on any of your characters, which is super cool. It mm. means that there's a lot of heroes, um, particularly on the sort of Slaves to Darkness Corn side for me that have really interesting command abilities that you'd never see because they're not otherwise general material. Yeah. And I think probably the same is true for Stormcast as well. It's probably going to be some interesting characters that. Yeah, not many of them do have 
explicit command abilities. Um, there's stuff like the Lord Tellison on foot who has a good kind of AOE foot infantry buff um, mm. for people around him, which you can now use, which you couldn't before, which is no one would ever normally take him in an army as a general. Right. Uh, so that's that's a good example. And they're gonna they're introducing new generic uh, command abilities as well. Yeah. So there's a revised inspiring presence. Mm. The revision is basically inspiring presence can now be used by any hero, but the radius is smaller mm. for heroes that aren't your general. But it means that as long as there's a hero near one of your units, you can potentially get inspiring presence to it, which is important. I believe it happens in the battleship phase now as well. Oh, it does, yeah. So it's that's a, also really important. It's opportunistic. So you, as long as your army is organised efficiently, uh, if you've got heroes near units that are in danger, you can say at the start of the battleship phase, I'm choosing to inspire that and protect it from a, a very bad round of combat. So that's again, it, there's lots and lots of stuff in the rules to make heroes more important and they to make heroes get heroes closer to surround yeah. infantry to make them look more like armies and behave more like armies yeah a big theme is going to be uh, and this is something that already existed in the Eidneth battle tome mm. Eidneth have a lot of quite cheap heroes but they really need to stand next to a unit yeah and this feels very similar it, like, yeah for sure like a new archetype a new standard archetype will be a block of infantry with their hero yeah. next to them yeah which is super cool looks good uh, it's a sensible way of arranging an army mm. um, so yeah so Inspiring Presence has been revised um, there's now at the double uh, which means I think you do it when you make a run move for a unit. Again, triggered off a hero. Uh, you pick a unit and you basically guarantee a six for that run roll, mm. uh, which is super good for units that can run and charge. I'm very excited about this for Zangor because yeah. they have base movement at six. They can run and charge. It's, it'd be good for things like with Heralders as well. If you're yeah. Herald nearby, you can do that run and charge, then give to guarantee the six on the run. Mm. And suddenly you've got Paladins or Liberators proper huffing it. Mm. Rather than the liberator run that you're used to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Where they're tied. Five inches. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's forward to victory, which you can use after you roll a charge mm. to just re-roll a charge, mm. which is, um, I think it's the only version of just spend a command point for a re-roll, but it's a really important one. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's the kind of thing I'm going to re-roll ones into ones. I know I am, but like that's, <laughs> um, it's great for the prime. Yeah, because when you use it on himself uh, to hopefully, hopefully get a charge off when you <laughs> no, I've had terrible, terrible luck with him. Yeah, experience. maybe you notice it more because it's so important for him because he's so exposed. It's so to important. Yeah, yeah. If he if he messes that up, it's it's a waste of three hundred however many points. Uh, but yeah, yeah th- these these are really cool um, command abilities. Is the question to me are their relationship with the battalions and um, mm. how expensive battalions will be and what battalions will look like in the new edition. Because uh, the pr- problem I always have with battalions is that they're very prescriptive. They um, this tend to be, at least the Stormcasts, so expensive that you have to build an entire army around yeah. a particular battalion. Um, and if that interacts with the drop system, which you were talking about earlier, Chris, like the idea that if you take a battalion, you get fewer drops, and therefore probably get the choice to go first or not, then... You also get extra command points, and you also, I mean, there's a, there's a whole potential yeah. uh, problem there. The Eidneth Battle Tome sets a precedent for how battalions will work, mm. I think. Uh, there are far fewer of them, and they're much more modular. Um, so you might have, they're so expensive, but like, they're quite targeted, and they're not themed in quite the same way, by which I mean, like a lot of the battalions they were experimenting with maybe a year ago, including the Zinch Battle Tome, have very much like this is this army from this place mm. uh, it fights like this and it must have these things and that's fine from a kind of storytelling point of view but actually it's restricted from a storytelling point of view because it sort of locks your army down the way it works in the Eidneth battle tome is like for example 
there's one um, that makes your Nomati, which are your kind of line units, um, more durable in that it allows you to regenerate more of them uh, with there's a particular uh, hero that can like pull the souls out of dead enemies and use them to bring dead Nomati back to life. Yeah. It makes, that's usually like a D3 roll. All the battalion does is change what would be a D3 roll to three, mm. uh, which is good, but it's not like mind blowing. No. Um, and that battalion is super simple. It's that hero and two of each kind of infantry unit. Yeah. That's so it's quite a lot, but it's super simple. Yeah. And it's all relevant to what the buff is. So it's like, it's less complicated stuff. It's just the things you need for that buff. Um, and then what's interesting is you have the loads of like specific, on- they're called enclaves for the Ideneth. There'll be storm hosts mm. for the Stormcast. The color scheme rule, yeah. basically. And the way that works is some of them in the Ideneth book change the way the battalions work. So, uh, one of them like raises the cap on a certain type of unit in that, in that particular type of battalion. So by default, the Nomati core one can only take up to four units of reavers i think who are the shooty infantry yeah with a particular with uh the briomdar enclave they can take up to six mm. it's a small thing but it's a way of differentiating that subfaction mm. in its own little way and that's super cool because previously those sorts of things were folded into much bigger uh, battalions like in the stormcast the current stormcast battle tome mm. like hammers of sigmar are represented by like a mega battalion that is super restrictive it's like three thousand points as well. yeah, yeah rather than like a tweak to one of the other battalions mm. which i would rather see i think yeah so in the um Eidneth book does it very carefully specify what the color scheme must be in order to qualify as being this particular no faction? and this is a thing and it's mm. always going to be a thing yeah. and, and there's also and this is true in 40k as well there's a thing where like um <coughs> sorry excuse me um like in 40k it says like if you're if you don't have one of like the first founding chapters for space marines just pick one of the first founding chapter abilities that fits your people i.e the one you actually want basically yeah Yeah. and that's basically the way it works for ideneth it says like you feel free to paint them however you will in which case pick one that matches how you think your army plays or what its story is yeah that's so for the best (laughs) that is for the best um So I think it's going to be, you know, it'll be a case of saying mine is a Hammers of Sigma army. Therefore, I'm using this rule. I think it becomes more restrictive, you know. So, for example, I think for you, Tom, if there is like a Hammers of Sigma ability in the new Stormcast book and you don't want it and you want the Celestial Vindicators one, you're probably a bit screwed Mm. because your opponent could reasonably expect your army to be Hammers of Sigma because it looks like Hammers of Sigma. You're better off going with a completely custom scheme if you want to be able to change mm. all the time. But actually I think if you're slightly more sort of the, the, the rules in the, um, in the Agnes book aren't mind blowing either. One or two of them are very good, mm. but I guess it, it's always going to be an avenue for potential balance problems and frustration. But yeah. Yeah. This is the problem with them um, character on overlords where, um, Oh yeah. The one particular sky fleet was the only one that would be. Zifflin. Yeah. Um, Sylphin, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that they did like a big kind of drop and shoot thing. And, and that's all you see in, um, in competitive play. And, um, that is awkward. And it means that all those beautiful, beautiful boats are being painted in the same way because they have to conform with this particular type yeah. of sky fleet. And, um, that feels like the point where the rules are inhibiting the hobby rather than giving players the freedom to express themselves. It's tricky because I really like having my sort of story choices represented Mm. in rules to some extent, but I think I'm a very fluffy man at the end of the day. And I want 
fluffy rules for things. I, I'm not really interested in abusing them, right? Mm. Like, um, uh, I'd love to do an Eidneth army and I think I will. I'm, it won't be until my current chain pile is done. Yeah. Probably be towards the end of the year when Battle Force boxes are coming out, that mm. kind of thing. Or maybe even next year when start collecting boxes come out. Mm. But the reason I got onto that was because I just loved a certain color scheme that I saw on Instagram. Nice. From one of the heavy metal team. And it's in the book. It's one of the official ones. It's one yeah. of those enclaves. And so I went in the book and I looked and what's their rule? And I was like, oh, okay, that's their rule. Mm. Um, I'll figure out what kind of cool army you can build around that rule. And, you know, I have no intention of running any of the other ones, even if some of them are better, because I fell in love with the color scheme first. And then, you know, then it sort of follows from there. But that's because I'm okay with not having the most competitive thing in the yes. world. Yeah. Uh, I think if you are, if you're not okay, sorry, if you, if it really does matter, then, um, you know, well, you know, the example for them is like the, the Iron Rack Enclave, which is the, the Hammers of Sigma of Eidneth, mm. the Ultramarines of Eidneth, yeah. the one that's on the cover of the book. Um, they have an extremely powerful allegiance ability, which is that they extend the tide of death rule to their allies. Yeah. Uh, which is the one that allows you to suddenly give, um, Storm other masters. order units, Stormcast, <laughs> yeah. benefit from the high tide ability and stuff like that, which yeah. is potentially that's massive. That's really amazing. <laughs> so that's probably, and also because the ally system is such a kind of, um, power gamers toolbox for that kind of thing, that's probably going to be the power gamers color scheme because that is the open ended, uh, bullshit valve in that army, mm. right? It's the thing where adding anything to any storm, particularly Stormcast, but any valid ally order faction, has the potential to bust something in the Eidneth Deepkin army yeah. because of that rule. Oh God, thinking, I'm just thinking about <laughs> allying in some formulators. And, the, yeah. the no fun way is 400, in a 2000 point game is 400 points worth of Paladin Protectors, which uh, I think is 20 Paladin Protectors. Yeah, okay, yeah. So um, they've got the shooting resistance. Yeah. So, and you have to shoot them. And so. you have to shoot them because yeah. the Eidneth rule. Yeah, yeah. And so what you do is you put them in front mm. and then you put the turtle behind that. <laughs> right. Which gives them cover. Yeah. Permanently. Yeah. I think. Oh, no, actually it might not because they benefit from Tides of Death, but they get cover on the first round anyway because mm. of the- From Tides of Death. From Tides of Death. Yeah. And then after they finish killing that, they then have to kill the tortoise that won't die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's going to be rough. It's the death of gunline armies basically. Mm. Like, mm. Uh, but it's also, it's also no fun whatsoever and it's clearly <laughs> gamey. Mm. So if you care, if you don't, you know, obviously tournaments are tournaments, but like if you showed up with that in a regular game, then what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. It's, it, again, it's letting match play kind of. It, yeah. Yank the curtains and change, change your outlook on the game. <laughs> yank the curtains? I don't know why I said that. That's strange. <laughs> that's not a thing anyone it, says. I, I almost like, I'm sorry for calling you on it. I was almost like, yes, that's a phrase. Like, no, <laughs> it it's be, not. <laughs> it should be a phrase. Stop yeah, letting the match play yank the curtain. <laughs> we really have to stop, you know, <laughs> so, sometimes you just got to call a horse a horse and stop uh, letting match play yank the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, final, uh, actually, there's a few small things. Yeah. Um, yeah. That we haven't spoken about yet. Oh, no, there's actually quite a few. Shooting. Sorry. Shooting. Let's yeah. talk about shooting. Yeah. So, a topic of much contention that we've talked about it a yeah. lot. Yeah. In fact, it's amazing how, like, a lot of the stuff we've talked about has been directly accounted for in the rules changes. Yeah. And some of the, even the specific things we've suggested as well, which is like. Yeah. Like a, a, more, a more interactive magic phase was definitely something we said, like, months ago. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Now here it is. <laughs> Pretty um, awesome. So, shooting changes. There's been a few. Yeah. One is the addition of Lookout, sir as a rule mm. um which is that heroes that are not monsters so fuck you lords of change mm. and star drakes um that are within three inches of a mod of a unit with three or more models i.e are hugging another unit mm. are minus one to hit with shooting yeah at all times mm. which is great 
It's really good. And it's not the 40k rule, and it's it's something that's more subtle, and it's more about, you know, yeah. just making... Just it will keep those heroes alive an extra turn, basically. It seems like yes, it's big. Like, um, like so, and it, it uh, that minus one's deceptively important, uh, not just in terms of the odds of hitting, but so for example, skyfires. Skyfires are a negative experience for a lot of people because mm. they reliably get a plus one to hit buff from the Zango Shaman that accompanies them. Mm. You know, a, a, a good example of a hero who currently likes to hug a unit in a thematic way. Yeah. Um, with that plus one to hit, they, uh, their attack ends on a hit roll of a five and they just do D3 mortal wounds. Mm. Uh, and they shoot once. So a unit of six of average size, that's, so a unit of six with a Sangle Shaman is a hundred, is 540 points, 560 yeah. points. It's quite expensive. Yeah. You roll six dice, but every five or six is D3 mortal wounds, which is massive. And particularly for like heroes with five or six wounds, mm. it's usually hero killingly massive, yeah, yeah. which is quite negative for people because also they have a, Oh, they have a 40 inch threat range. Mm. No, like 36 or something. They move so fast as well. Yeah, they they zip and they kill your heroes. That minus one's really important because it means unbuffed skyfires can't do exploding hits, which is big. Um, and buffed skyfires are back to doing on a six. So of those, uh, six shots, more will miss, but also on average, only one will do through mortal wounds, if that. So, um, that, just puts a little bit of pressure on that unit and it, it reigns in some stuff that was a problem in the game. Basically, I want to see Skyfires reigned in because I can't want to paint and run Skyfires, mm. but I don't want to feel like a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, um, so yeah, that's a nice subtle thing. It will keep things like my heralds alive a lot, yeah, which I'm definitely. really happy about. And I mean, cause it means that, like judicator sniping is less good as well. Like, yeah, for like, sure. Yeah. Like, and, uh, yeah. And also I, lo- I love that them being within three inches. That's a super nice way of describing the type of the shape of the army that is going yeah. to happen a lot in the new edition as we mentioned earlier but heroes leading a couple of units of infantry that's a super cool thing um yeah yeah it's nice the other big change to shooting and it's a big change yeah is that um you can if you are so this is the thing that was revealed today um if um what's the best way of explaining it? if you are within three inches of an enemy unit you have to shoot that unit. Yep. So it basically, if there is an enemy within three inches of you, you have to shoot an enemy within three inches of you. Yeah. It's like being in combat basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's just super good. Mm. It means that I think it means that there isn't, you know, cause we talked about this, like whether or not like in 40 K uh, shooting is switched off mm. by being engaged in combat that would require such a top down repointing of all of the range units in the game mm. that it might not be worth it. This just, I, I really like this because this means that, like, I, I mean, I'm coming at it from the point of view of a Zinch player and I'm used to shooting being like a pretty terrifying existential threat to my mm. most important units, my heroes. Yeah. But the thing I'm awash in is amazing chaff. Mm. I got chaff everywhere. I got demons I can throw at anybody. And so being able to tie up a ranged unit and force its hand in the shooting phase is huge for me. It's much bigger than uh, the minus one to hit for heroes or anything like that. Yeah. Because it just allows you to, it, again, the other thing is a bit like the magic phase. It makes shooting more interactive because mm. obviously you roll saves and stuff with shooting. But the fact that at present, you know, if an artillery crew or an artillery piece gets charged, they can still fire accurately 48 inches away. Yes. It doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Like, you know, I've said this on the podcast before. It never felt right to me that like, you know, I'd be, we'd be in combat fighting with the judicators, but then the judicators would also be firing their longos backwards over their heads at mm. someone 24 inches away, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like it makes, 
you know, obviously it made sense in the rules at the time, but like, it's not a good mind's eye thing. And it's also not as strategically interesting as like, yeah, the thing I like about this the most, actually, even though it does, it is going to make a lot of ranged units a lot less worthwhile, uh, is that it at least encourages armies to come up with flanking strategies or backfield yeah. strategies and think about if they're going to have artillery, you've got to get, you've got to have a way to get into the backfield to shut that down. And fundamentally anything that makes the game more about maneuvering and kind of making stuff get over around the battlefield and trying to outmaneuver the opponent to do stuff, that for me is where the the interest lies so be it, uh, there's a great reward to getting into your opponent's backfield with a flying unit or a fast moving unit or something like vanguard paladors that can go off one board edge and come on another board edge they suddenly become amazing kind of uh artillery killers yeah and that's a cool new dimension to the game in a way mm. uh, and even just useless chaff stuff like aether wings mm. really small useless unit that you know you don't want to shoot because they're just like they're not going to do anything but they could tie up a unit of archers for a turn or two yeah that's massive suddenly and you've got to think about that uh it's gonna be very interesting to change a lot of things i think in the game yeah there's um a really nice um like i think you know it's it's in some ways a little bit of a buff to liberators because it means that they they're very good at engaging someone in combat and then stopping that unit from doing anything else for fucking ages (laughs) yeah yeah because it takes quite a long time to kill Mm. Well, relative, like, you know, to their number of wounds, like, mm. they're pretty durable. And so that's, they're going to be good. My concern, I suppose, is that, you know, it's interesting to see if army composition changes at all. We haven't seen that yet for match play. Yeah. At the moment, there's probably no reason, if you're a serious tournament player, to take liberators to protect your judicators right. rather than allying in a billion skinks. Yeah. And just putting them in a big line. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that's a thing. Mm. Um, but that might change. I I really hope there's a unit cohesion rule change in the new edition that mm. stops that type of data chaining because I think there should be vulnerabilities in an army on the tabletop. I think you shouldn't be able to get 100 skinks and just put them in a big old wiggly line around everything. I think that's dumb and <laughs> looks really silly and is not how skinks would behave on in an army you know, yeah. in that type of context. Um, and uh, I love the wholly within wording that has been used for a lot of that stuff. might be the way they do it actually so I mean uh, there are, there'll be a few different w- wording ways of doing it but and and they that that it's difficult because like it can be overly restrictive but you're right if it always becomes about like protecting your backfield then everyone's going to take a unit of chaff and just sit them at the back and they're not going to do anything yeah <laughs> see because I, I use brimstones for this yeah, now yeah and i actually quite like the way it looks at brimstones because mm. i kind of imagine the brimstone horrors as being almost like a ring of fire around the demons like you need to break through this thing yeah and it's not like a they're not like because they are technically living things but it's not like skinks which are actually like living creatures with thoughts and feelings and dreams like a brimstone horror is just an angry bit of sentient fire mm. so it's almost i imagine that this is sort of like force field almost. both advances ahead of the army and, and trails behind it mm. like you know it's it's, a, it's almost like an environmental effect than a unit yeah yeah so i can i can i can mind's eye that as a screening thing but i agree i think a simple change would just be um units having to be within one inch of two units yep. from their same yeah. unit yeah is the way to fix it. yeah and even within two i mean um 40k is uh cohesion is two inches rather than one um but in AOS, but you tend to see smaller units a lot in 40k, but, uh, uh not, not for most armies. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, sorry. Um, yep. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. One, every individual has to be within an inch of two other people. Yeah. Then you can't string out 40 skinks across the entire board. No, you have to start ranking them up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to do because it's, it's a skirmish game. And it's supposed to be about kind of, uh, organic movement. 
Mm. Um, but th- what the problem with like having to screen off your backfield forever, even though that is a way the way a lot of Age of Sigmar matchups work, especially if you're facing, for example, Stormcast that have loads mm. of stuff in the sky, you've got to keep stuff back. Um, the problem comes where like everyone has to take one. You know what I mean? Like it becomes like a tax. Because, yeah. uh, like a tax on your army. Oh, so you've got to have your chaff unit that sits around your shooting. And they sit there and they don't do anything. They're just there to protect the shooting and it's boring, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, potentially stuff that it'd be interesting to see what happens with the spells. Cause wild spells right. potentially have a way of, or ender spells, sorry, have a way of hmm. interacting with this. Hmm. Like spooky moon don't go the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> right, spooky yeah. moon goes through your chaff and it's in it's your back right line. <laughs> Wrecking your dudes. Yeah. Similarly, spooky mirror. Mm. You know, like, it's like, oh, fine, you're going to sit behind your chaff. I'm going to park my mirror in front of your chaff and just start Sucking flinging fire. Yeah, yeah, both, both, yeah, both settings on the space hoover. It's really interesting though. I, I think you're right about the sort of visualization of it in terms of being in combat. So, so I, I can buy adjudicators, uh, deftly darting back and notching a, a magical space bow and shooting a, a, a demon in the face yeah. as part of, as part of their combat because they're trained to do that. Um, I don't mind people being able to shoot into combat, um, if they're already in that combat, but this does seem like a sensible change. Like, yeah, I can't like, imagine them darting back from the demon that's in their face and firing accurately at something miles away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Um, I'm just looking forward to playing with all this stuff. Yeah, it, like, it's, it's going to be really different. Yeah, like, cause, I mean, cause it affects me, cause like, Every, every demon shoots and like mass shooting is a big deal for Zinch. Like mm. lots of horrors, lots of shooting. That's true. And I'm used to being able to strategically use that shooting. Mm. Like using, tying up a unit with brimstone horrors, for example, but then chucking 40 shots at something nearby. Mm. That's not, that's going away. It's not a big hit because those aren't like often those shots are best used to just, uh, make that combat last longer by getting a few extra kills and slowing yeah. them down a bit. But like, it's not like the point of that unit. It's going to be really affect stuff like Vanguard Raptors with long strike crossbows. Yeah. Um, so is it, is it, I think they're like 180 points, something like that. So they're not like a cheap unit, but they're not too expensive. But a lot of their points value is tied up in their hero killing ability. Mm. And that's going to go down a lot. So I, I see what you mean, mm. but I would say something that you might be underestimating is what the value is of having so much hero killing ability in a unit with such a small footprint mm. that can be relatively easily hidden. Right. So, um, like I'll put it this way. Things really hurt and I'm really glad to see it hurt is, um, Savage Orc Arrow Boys right. or like Cunning Ruck where the trick is run 30 of these things <laughs> and they've got two wounds each and 60 wounds and they do 90 shots and they shoot twice so 180 shots of face from a massive block of dudes hmm. Um that unit has a huge footprint on the battlefield like it that's a lot of models and they're on 32 mil bases like you're talking about like a good you know a certain chunk of the board space is taken up at any time. Mm. And if you can get a single model, single fast model into contact with any part That's of it, point. you shut them down. down. Yeah. Long strikes are pretty tiny by mm. comparison and you know, the relative the amount of power they put out yeah. or have potential to put out. So I think there's, I think yeah. there's something to be said for that. Like it's, you, you can put them in places where it's harder to reach them. Yeah. You're not going to be like physically constrained by the fact that like, I can't fit all these orcs behind this wall or mm. something. Right. Like, mm. You can yeah. make them hard to charge. It's going to be interesting. The ether wings could screen them as well, actually. So That's true. you might actually make those. And easier to screen. There's less space to yeah, screen. Yeah. You don't need 40 skinks to cover them. You can do it with. It's going to be, lips. it's going to be so interesting. And I think these, for example, stuff like long strikes. So they've, they each get one shot and it's like two plus three plus. 
but for heroes now it's three plus three plus and the odds on three shots going in three mm. plus three plus is very very different like it's a very different level of effectiveness mm. um so that's it's gonna be interesting just to play it and sort of see how it pans out really yeah yes yeah it might be but like but also you can you're kind of incentivized i suppose to set things up so mm. maybe you have you know your judicators shoot at whatever unit is screening that hero mm. and whittle it down or kill it you know what I mean? Like yeah. you've got those options, you yeah. know, you have incentive to play around that disadvantage yeah, to give yeah. them the good shot. I don't, I, I don't say this, but I was just thinking about how it's going to change the mm. sort of how these units are going to be viewed yeah. and evaluated. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, I'm just saying like it's, it's all quite crunchy kind of tactical yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I do. It's not just this is bad now, right? Yeah. Like it's like you have to work it'll, to make it good. It'll take a bunch of stuff out of the game. Um, Without a doubt. I'm slightly worried about the introduction of artillery for Stormcast, actually. Mm. Um, because artillery for me have always been scatter of fun and stuff like that. I can't see them doing that in Age of Supermarkets. It's a much simpler game and it's less yeah. about templates and that kind of thing. Um, apart, apart from, from the end of the spell that they've <laughs> yeah. just in- introduced. Uh, but like artillery, they tend to just be hit stuff from miles away and just do mortal wounds. Like that tends to be how artillery does. I really hope that they come up with something a bit more interesting for, uh, because I could see a kind of artillery meta where you have to shut down the artillery all the time. So, you, you know, otherwise the artillery obliterates stuff. Yeah. Which kind of is theme and like is sort of how artillery works a lot of the time. But I don't know. We'll see. I think it's good that the big moon can eat the artillery. <laughs> Maybe that's it. It's the counter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But have you considered the spooky moon? <laughs> like that's like, that. that's my answer to every question you got about yeah, yeah. the spooky moon. The spooky moon could do it. Um, spooky moon is not a horse because mm. no one's riding it. Not yet. yet. <laughs> so they've got a time. See that um, So other massive thing we haven't talked about. Yeah. Summoning is free now for everybody. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So this is, so something we've noticed across the board in these changes is Points values are going down mm. for a lot of things. A lot of things are getting cheap, but I suspect there'll be more models on the board yeah. in Age of Sigma yeah. in the future. Yeah. I'm quite happy because I've got quite a lot more than I need, which is for Zinch. So yeah. I have more summoning pool stuff. Um, I'll get onto this when I talk about London GT, but I love summoning actually as a thing. I really like reactive summoning. Mm. And, um, so what's changing is reinforcement points are apparently just going away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and every, instead every army will have its own way of, doing some kind of summoning mm. so this already exists for corn and nurgle um zinch will presumably get something and the slanesh one is super cool mm. have you seen the slanesh one uh yeah so they get basically like slanesh points um edging it points basically mm. for dealing like one wound to a hero at a time oh, so every right. time you like deal just one wound to somebody without killing them you get a point well, and you can use that to summon demons for free. Stretching out that pain. Cause you, yeah, because you're making it last, which is the opposite of corn. Uh, I guess stuff when... I was going to say, I thought I got it mixed up with... Corn, presumably, it's going to be tied to blood tithe points it's, and it's, stuff it's, like it's, that. I mean, that already works. That's yeah. how it already works, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, if you ever get to eight... You know, this is the thing. As a corn player, you should probably have a bloodthirster mm. because if you ever get to be eight blood tithe points, that's a bloodthirster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but that's what an awesome threat that is in a game. Yeah. Like, if eight, eight things die, there's a bloodthirster on the table. That's awesome. I, I, so, obviously, this will make horrors fucking nuts. Yeah. Because if the horrors splitting rule stays the same, it's just that every unit of pink horrors is also <laughs> a bajillion blue and brimstone horrors, by mm. the way. I'd be interested to see if that changes. Yeah. Um, because that's, they've struggled to balance that from the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see how it works otherwise, because I think what I'd like to see for Zinch is something like every time a spell is successfully unbound by anybody, <laughs> It goes into the pot because mm. I quite like that idea. Like the more wizards on the table, the more because all the chaos god ones are a kind of perfect example of this because they're all based around 
do the thing that makes that god more powerful. Because all the chaos gods work like this, right? Like, the more martial prowess is on the battlefield, the stronger corn gets in yeah. abstract. Corn mm. is, corn benefits from all war, just like Nurgle benefits from all sickness, cool. and Zinch benefits from all magic. Like, I'd like to get in a situation where, like, the more magic is on the table, like, enemy wizards have to be very careful, because if mm. they push it too far, the Zinch bucket tips over, and then suddenly there are horrors everywhere. Demons forever. Which, which is very Warhammer, that's how it should feel playing mm. it. And I'm really excited to do this, I think, specifically for Chaos, because I want Chaos to feel like this, you've got to counter them, not philosophically, but you've got to not play into their strengths philosophically, mm. while also beating them, yeah. in order to win. With adjustments and things to make it fair, but like that would be the feeling I would want. Mm. Yeah, that's a, the idea of like a, a sort of boss encounter waiting to happen. Where if, if you overstep, then that goes wrong. I, I really like that this is going to buff Sylvaneth a little bit because Sylvaneth have uh, sort of kind of struggled for being yeah. one of the earlier battle tomes, and there's uh, a sort of power creep has happened across Age of Sigmar 1.0's lifetime, which means that um, very early battle tomes didn't quite have everything that. Few, subsequent battle times had and uh general's handbook fixed that to an extent but the actual kind of pointing of the units themselves kind of never quite they're really it's a really good army and it's really flexible and it's really kind of elite but you don't see it like ranking very highly at all yeah. but now alarial can summon colonel hunters and stuff with her new kind of once again spell she just plants some she's just, yeah she just grows them out of the earth and then you're boned <laughs> uh and that's really cool um and also yeah summoning is potentially potentially really cool uh, I think the thing that protects the game is the nine inches away thing. Mm. So, um, the vast majority of summoning or kind of, uh, setting up spells means that stuff gets summoned at least nine inches away from the nearest enemy, the nearest enemy unit. And that means a loads more screening off, having loads more bodies on the battlefield is going to be more important for stopping summoning from happening, especially undead summoning, which is potentially insane unless you shut it down yeah with the yeah uh, which again is very themey like it's the idea mm. that the, the the dead are pouring out of these grave sites and you've got to go in there and just like quench it somehow it is super cool uh but um yeah there's so much that's going to go wrong <laughs> all of these uh the, the kind of so there's a spell called banishment where oh that's nuts which is insane where you just sort of point at a unit that's nearby and sort of just chuck them on the other end of the battlefield yeah and i see that and i think that's potentially brutal that's potentially just kind of non makes the maneuvering in the game you might not kill the unit yeah 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 so, so you know i'm moving my formulators i get the charge i want and then the wizard just goes no actually you're on the other side of the board like that's gonna be that's gonna feel real bad <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you know I could, a lot of these things i could see that one is a realm specific spell isn't it oh right is it it is i think it's um realm of light mm. specific okay so so yeah i agree that spell's nuts mm. my thought is that you, cause this is a few concerns. One is, it feels like it's gonna be mandatory to have something that can do unbinding. Mm. And they've shown that there are some new artifacts and stuff that give unbinding to heroes that don't otherwise have it. Yeah. And like, a lot of the new, all the new Stormcast wizards have unbinding. Some of them, and like, for example, uh, one of the new Stormcast wizard heroes has, um, a bit like some corn heroes, mm. the ability to like have one guaranteed unbind yeah. per game. Yeah. Um, and if, I feel like that's, partially the answer to this it's like oh we're playing this game in the realm of light i know that spell is on the board got to bring some guaranteed i am 
I am not using my guaranteed unbind until you try that shit. Mm. And I know you know and, and the rest of it. And then you get some depth and then you get some interplay. Yeah, yeah. But it could totally, yeah, that spell particularly, the whole, like, because I'd love that, right? Like, yeah, you, yeah. If you sure. deep strike your retributors or whatever and it's, it's like, like, well, bye. They're, over there now. <laughs> like, yeah. they're back on your back line. Uh, and that, that's, there are going to be so many new spells and there are going to be wonky interactions. Mm. And my worry for 2.0 is that it comes out with the new rules and stuff. And then there are a couple of new battle tomes. And then the general's handbook isn't that necessarily far enough after it to actually watch the community and make the adjustments yeah, deal that with are the required. Jank. Exactly. Mm. And there is going to be jank. There's going to be jank. There always is. And it's just an inevitable part of it. Um, it jank that curtain. <laughs> you go to jank that curtain. Uh, you just go jank that curtain. And, and if it doesn't get fixed, I mean, they will FAQ stuff, but the idea is that then you have a year of kind of insane spells roaming around killing everything and bizarre mm. interactions between uh, Zeech's magic mirror and, you know, these other types of spell. You know, th- this is going to happen. It's definitely coming So in. I, like, this is maybe appropriate, but I love change and I love <laughs> chaos. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I, I always like these periods when games enter. Like, mm. I know that I am not a top-tier Age of Sigmar player and don't really want to be. No. Um, and what, so I have a different attitude to this than I do. With X-Wing 2.0, I really want an extended period of chaos where everything's kind of viable mm. because that's very good for the top of the tournament scene. I don't think it's as likely with Age of Sigmar because Age of Sigmar is not doing a top-down revamp, but also it's such a vast game full of stuff. Mm. There will be edge cases. I'm confident, I think, that these changes will mean more interesting games for us. Mm. It's honestly like... Oh, that's true. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, and I think it will mean more interesting games for probably the majority of mid-table players and people playing narrative games and open play games. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, all of this is good news for us. Like, and I, because I agree with you, but realistically, my involvement with the top level meta is looking at what's doing well and going, oh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You know, and then occasionally playing it in tournaments yeah. and going, oh, <laughs> like... Yeah, it's not like I, I see something sick and like, oh, I'll use that against Chris next week. It's not yeah. that type of thing, is it? And like, you know, because, you know, I think, you know, before we talk about this in a minute, but like before my painting plans for the month changed a little bit and, before, you know, we thought maybe this this month's episode would be the one where we got back into it with a real big smash up between mm-hmm. our armies and there was the role models meetup. Our community had their meetup and they gave all of their magic points to you, Tom. Oh, I need to Pretty check much up on that. You do. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to get back into the campaign, but Age of Sigmar 2 coming along, for me, has put that stuff on pause just until it comes out. Yeah, totally. Because it's going to make those games so much more exciting. Mm. Like, yeah. I was going to suggest, like, if you get the new, um, what's he called? Lord Arcanum. Mm. The, the wizard on a horse. Yeah, wizard on a horse. Got um, it. maybe that could be the reforged Lord Castellan. Because he did die. He did die. What if he gets reforged? He's a lord now because he was a knight, right? He was a knight. Well, look, oh, there's a knight castle and a lord castle. He's lord, I think. Oh, right, but he didn't have a lord. Great yeah. lord, but lord with, he was a wizard. He's so a like, lord with a horse now. He's, yeah, exactly. He's just better than the other. Yeah, lords. and obviously he can still use the castle. And he's just someone else. But yeah, like, yeah. that might be really cool. Yeah, or be even better, his griffhound grows up and he rides around on it now. Yeah. <laughs> Griff horse. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, got it. Right. Oh, yeah. The, oh man. Because then, then you can do some like. Because then there's some real cool stuff, right? I want to get an unbinding war between your wizards and my wizards. Yeah, yeah. Which can actually happen. Yeah, indeed. Because Stormcast have wizards now, not just prayers that are quite good. Yeah. So that stuff, all of that stuff, I think is good news. And, and to be honest, like Age of was always better when people are not finding edge cases. Mm. Really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's gonna be good. I'm really, really excited. I'm really excited, especially as a Stormcast player. <laughs> get all the good things. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and new um, battle time as well, hopefully. Well, I would say one thing that really excites me is, so Night of Shrouds is literally 
a hero type for Nighthaunt now. Yeah. That, that guy on a horse, uh, one of them. It's just a Knight of Shards. Um, the Lord Ordinator, the Lordinator is from the Sacrosanct Chamber. We can extrapolate him. Yeah. So we've got two and two for new armies from Malign Portents Harbingers. Yeah. There's a heavy rumor that a big next thing for Age of Sigmar is Moon Clan Grotz, Mm -hmm. as in the Fungoid Cave Shaman. If Dark Oath is an army, that's where I pivot. Like, I'll finish my Zinch stuff, Mm. but I fucking love those models. I will happily do a Chaos Marauder army basically be sweet so that, that's got me super excited and that's something that i'm looking forward to pivoting towards mm. but like not not yet obviously because i've got child-sized robots to paint <laughs> <laughs> and i've got a whole new box of age of sigma 2.9 we, we haven't seen the box to be fair like we don't know what's gonna be in it i think so we know the fact i think the big clue is the fact that some of those models that they've shown are obviously monopose and yeah. some of them look like regular kits mm. and that is the traditional device right and Devise, there's a divide there's a pr- uh there's a pretty standard structure to like each of the armies will get a badass hero model. So mm. um I think the uh Knight of Shrouds and Horse will be in there. That's yeah. the badass kind of hero model for them. And um the Stormcast will probably get the the horse. The, the Lord Arcanum. The wizard horse. Yeah. And uh but then you can also see the models that won't be in there. So I don't think the blister will be in there for the Stormcast thing. I, I think it might be. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, I reckon. Uh the black coach will be a separate thing. By the way, the new black coach model looks as sweet as I imagined in my head. Do you notice one of the horses is only half a horse? Yeah, they kind of fade in and out of existence now. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But all horses do that, so that's fine. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> Completely normal horses. Yeah. Uh yeah, the oh man, those new white night horse models are so good. We'll be talking about all that of them. box is amazing for you because you want you've had to your... death as well. <laughs> yeah, like they like did they listen to the podcast and then make everything for me is that what's <laughs> happened uh it feels like that because it's insane like how much of this stuff i was excited about like i wanted magic to be more, more interesting i wanted more stormcast obviously yeah also i wanted a death army and um i just have it all now all i have to do is give them all my money and i've got it <laughs> uh i'm actually great. i have the opposite i'm so relieved it's not stormcast <laughs> it's versus dark oath or something oh, like yeah, that because that be not because i'm not gonna be unhappy for that to happen but because like I, you are at a very different point with your, maybe we'll get to talk about this in a minute, but you're at a very different point with your shame pile than I am. Yeah. Um, I've had to slow down a little bit and I'm still feeling it. Like I, you know, I'm now realizing that, um, I've been painting Zangle for six months. Oh God. Like it's taking me a while and it'll be a cool army when it's done. Yeah. Um, but I'm almost happy, uh, that that army's arriving into a new edition where I'm more excited to play it. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. um, so I can't take a big release of stuff I really want right now. Like I don't, I'm not interested in Nighthaunt really. And I'm no. not interested in Stormcast for now. I was thinking about it for a long time, but I think I'll do Ideneth instead. Nice. Cause I always wanted to do like a thousand point uh, order army in case you and I ever do doubles. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Basically. Yeah. So like, but that can wait. So I'm just kind of chill. I was going to buy the book yeah. nice. and the box of spells probably. Definitely. Surely that exists. I think, I think there'd probably be a couple of spells in the box. I almost hope not. Yeah. Or if if they are, I'll custom build whatever they are because I don't want to get the box. Because I feel like it'll um to have the, the, all these big new endless spells and to be such a big deal in the new edition to not put them in the core box would be a bit odd. Mm. But we'll see. Mm. We Unless yeah, see. We, we, we shall see. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of these like can make our own templates. They are just circular things on the battlefield. They are just bases. They are just bases. Yeah. That's true. So that's the end of the news section. Finally. <laughs> we should talk about what we've actually been doing this month because yeah. it's been sporadically super busy for me and then not busy at all. How's your hobby month been? It's been 
fairly productive, actually. And in fact, I'm almost at the bottom of my shame pile, <gasps> which is a very unusual feeling, and it's slightly disconcerting. Is it nice down it's there? Kind of. Down there on the highest horse. <laughs> <laughs> down here is when the, it's where the temptation starts to creep back in. It's where you're starting to look ahead a little bit and think, oh, what's next? And I'm not that, I'm not really close to the bottom of the shame pile, but there's stuff at the bottom of the shame pile that I'm willfully ignoring. So, uh, for example, there's, um, you know, if there's some 40k stuff I could build, specifically Adeptus Mechanicus stuff, um, that I could get into and start, uh, building up. And there's still some space marines and things from the Dark Imperium box from last year I could, I could build and paint. But I'm so kind of into AOS at the moment, they're almost like not on the menu. So uh, I'm pretty much coming to the end of my, AOS uh, shame pile and thank god there's a massive box of stuff you want coming out oh, yeah I know they typed it so perfectly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, this month I've been finishing off the Star Trek finally Star Trek Watch 2018 there aren't going to be many more Star Trek uh, watch 2018 entries because it's pretty much done actually uh there's just some little bits and pieces to kind of tidy up and he's based but the base just needs more kind of tufts and skulls obviously Obviously, as many skulls as possible. There's two kinds of things. There are there's grass and there's skulls. And there's skulls. That's all the stuff he needs now, apart from some blending on the tongue and some other little bits. Um, but he's pretty much there, and he's as good as I could make him at the time, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. uh, I know that feeling really well. Yeah, I've just, you've reached the level of satisfaction. It's like, this is as good as I could have done with this right now, and yeah. maybe in two years I could have done a better job, but it's really, really satisfying. And that model's amazing, <laughs> apart from... Supposing kind of issues aside, actually when you see it, it's so imposing on the tabletop. It's massive. It's yep. really huge and it looks like an enormous, big, terrifying threat and it looks imperious. And that's what I want for the general of this new force that we're going to be going into Firestorm with. Um, so I feel like he's a, he's a great centerpiece and it's so satisfying to finally get a centerpiece pretty much done. So I've moved on to the Vanguard Paladors who are kind of more complicated than Star Trek and harder than Star Trek. Um, because there are so many textures on those things. So uh, to describe them, they are completely ordinary horses. Uh, <laughs> I gave you a really big problem earlier. <laughs> uh, with um, bird faces, horsey bird faces, and um, hooves at the back and bird claws at the front. And the models, are, the sculpt is incredible on those. Like the Vanguard Paddle sculpt is extraordinary it's incredibly hard to put together it took me a whole weekend just to put glue three of them properly and get them green stuffed and, and stuff um but they are incredibly dynamic just to sort of almost look as though they're leaping in midair and then the, there are these stormcast with their uh, javelins it's kind of poised almost as though they're about to fly off but you know uh ready to attack with their spears and uh those models are so so good uh they're also just reams their skin is just reams of plastic just clear plastic and the model dares you to do stuff with it basically it's just like yeah. are you going to leave this empty that's boring isn't it uh are you are you going to paint it a wild crazy color because it's a crazy horse or are you going <laughs> to do something else and i've never liked the kind of um the dark green paint job that the official games workshop mm. painters went, went with obviously they're excellently executed really nicely done but um i always felt it was just weird to see green horse chickens running around because mm. so i kind of really wanted to make them look like they could be creatures like they could be actual animals mm. you might encounter on a fantasy landscape yeah there's a degree to which the stormcast horse guide is that the word celestial is sufficient to justify anything <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> it's like this is a celestial horse therefore it's fucking turquoise <laughs> it's turquoise now and yeah so i thought i would go take some inspiration for the animal kingdom and go for the first time 
uh, with like a, a whole suite of browns and yellows and very mm. kind of earthy organic colors that I've never painted with before properly actually in, in Age of Sigma because it's all been ever since I started getting back into this I've never had cause to paint um, just like beast men or anything like that or anything leather brown leather or dark leather or you know yeah. skin even it's all just been plate mail and things like that just quite clear cut colors and not many organic shapes apart from the silver earth uh, so for these i decided that i would try and paint their fur um and actually just like paint it onto the blank texture of the skin and basically freehand the impression of fur onto it which is a, a bold project but treating it almost like a canvas basically and saying that these bits are going to be as though i was uh, as though i'm painting on onto a canvas and say like mm. uh, try and create this you know illusion of uh flowing fur on them uh that is just uh, tones of um, brown and sort of yellowy brown, not going up to like tiger stuff, but just like quite muted yeah. in, in the horsey range, in the horsey range yeah. of colours that a horse might be. And so I stuck with that and um, was really, really surprised with the results and really, really happy with them as well. Um, so I managed to they look great. Really. get the freehand done on the, all the fur and stuff. And then the rest of it, which is kind of blocking out leather straps. And because the fur had so much freehand on, suddenly all the straps of the armor looks really blank and a bit kind of under detailed in a way. So I went over the straps and have added like loads of kind of scratches and like yeah. leather cracks Makes such on a them, big difference which does make a big difference. Uh, and now I realize that I kind of need some sort of equivalent for that for Stormcast armor because chips, yeah, little chips, little kind of cheeky chips on the, the Stormcast gold armor. Cause the Stormcast on the top almost looks like low res. So it was like, is <laughs> from a different game or something like a different art, art asset because it's incredibly detailed being overshadowed by his gorgeous horse <laughs> beautiful horse bird thing uh and that thing's like um i, I was, was really happy with the kind of the colors i managed to mix between from games workshop's range uh because the more you look at it like parts of it the colors kind of shift across the back it's, mm. got, it's got a magnificent ass chris i'm really pleased with the ass is what i'm saying <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, you can just look at that ass for an hour and just like, there are just like, <laughs> slight shifts in shade and, yeah. and tone going slightly more yellow here and slightly more kind of like yeah. brown here, brown there. And, um, with just a touch of, uh, hate to watch it ride the wings etheric, but love to watch it leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of little kind of very, very tiny little, uh, slashes of, um, Screaming skull or screaming bone or something. Screaming skull. So it's, so it's, it's, bone is it's something a, in that range. Shabdi, yeah, bone is slightly yellower. Screaming. Oh, skull. it's actually flayed. It's flayed one flesh. Uh, nice. Yeah. You're so, talking. You're talking my language. You're, that's you're right. Games workshops. You games <laughs> workshops. Spiciest beiges. Uh, yeah. So this is like a slightly uh, pinky peachy beige tone nice and and this is the this is the wink basically we were talking about winks earlier like the, the, <laughs> so um the wink upon the ass of a horse yes that's right but i'm so pleased with the wink on the ass of this horse i painted chris <laughs> <laughs> i'm really pleased with it it's great it looks super nice and photographs really well uh and so and i i've yeah so pleased with it it took me forever uh <laughs> so i've got two more of them to do and the general on the the, the whatever it's called ordinary horse uh, knight aquila on ordinary horse knight lord, lord aquila. aquila lord aquila on completely ordinary horse yeah uh and so yeah it's gonna take that's gonna take a while but it's so much fun it's really nice to just freehand on this thing and it's way less stressful than the star drake because it's just a unit rather than a centerpiece so if it kind of goes wrong like you can just paint over it to the yeah. boys and let it be done with um so it wasn't like the Star Trek. You wings. can just yank the curtain on it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you just yank the curtain on that thing. Uh, and yeah, it's, that's that's been super nice. And those models are super good. So I'm really I'm really happy because 
the sort of vanguard face of my army is significantly better painted than the first face of my army. Mm. And, and so that encourages me because when I finally get the vanguard force on the table, it's going to be a significant leap in quality and that's going to be super satisfying and super nice. Uh, and when, hopefully when the, um, the new chamber opens, I'm going to incorporate, uh, oh, I painted some other heroes actually. Um, so I'm going to incorporate some of the, the a new color scheme I've, uh, been testing with the new chamber. Um, so I also painted the brother and sister heroes, um, which I mentioned in a, a previous podcast where the sister is, um, uh, uh Knight Zephyros. Yeah. Twin axes, badass kind of hero slayer. Uh, the other one is the model you got me at Warhammer World, Chris, which is Errant the Quester. Errant Quester, which, um, isn't in any of the rule books or anything. It just, <laughs> the only, the, the only way you can get its rules is in a slip of paper that comes in the box that <laughs> you get him from Warhammer World, uh, which is kind of crazy. But, um, he's not too overpowered or anything. He's quite cool. It's just a really awesome model. Uh, so that I painted it up in a new scheme, which is like dark armor. And purple robes, uh, with a bit of gold trim. And, um, they're going to be members of a different storm host that, um, which I was thinking about. So you know how Nagash's dungeons have been cracked open and all those mm. souls have been unleashed from the realm of death. Uh, so, uh, there's a whole storm coast, storm host of events, which have actually, they're basically assassins that Sigmar sent down to just kill heroes at the source. And either take mm. their souls or throw them back into, you know, obliterate them. Uh, so the, there are these kind of, they're almost like, uh, special forces, Sigma special forces mm. that he sends off to kill specific heroes. And they've joined up with the Lord Hunters of Azir to take on, uh, the new chaos threat, obviously, that you're going to present. And also, um, frankly, like a load of the, uh, Nagash himself, which Chimp is building. <laughs> so. <laughs> How's uh, that guy? Uh, yeah, it's going to take a while, I think, but, um, I'll give you a date. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so red. they look cool. They, they, uh, the scheme is super nice on the tabletop. They look less impressive when photographed. When you actually see them, they're actually, they look kind of menacing, but also very knightly in a way that the normal Hammers of Sigma don't. They've mm. got extra kind of, um, there's an extra flourish to having trim on them. Uh, and what I've noticed about the new Stormhost chamber, the new chamber that's opening up for the, for AOS mm. 2.0, is there's actually loads of extra trim on the armor. And having black armor panels with gold trim is going to be far more viable for them. And it might introduce some purple as well, but also keep the, the, yeah, because they've got so. tabards and stuff as well, right? Yeah. So I imagine I'll go with the same gold, uh, sorry, the same purple for them. And also maybe some, do some insignia and stuff to signify that they're kind of, yeah, a, a new thing that are still tied in with the nice. Lord Hunters. Yeah, got plans, got plans. It's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. Yep. Good hobby month. How about you? Sort of up and down hobby month in some ways, because so back when, basically when we finished recording last podcast, I was all in on treating London GT, uh, which I went to in the middle of May as a sort of finish line for my Zinch Mortal shame pile which really hasn't shrunk very much since we last spoke. Um, I've gotten further, but um, so it sort of coincided. Then uh, sort of life got in the way in a few ways. I had a, some big work deadlines and some just sort of like personal kind of motivation things that meant that like I wasn't getting through stuff as fast as I wanted. And while I found it, like I did an insane, I think I spoke about this at the time. I did a kind of nuts sprint to get ready for blackout last year, like painted 10 pink horrors and three screamers and a hero and rebased like 40 models in two days mm. to get ready. Um, and I knew I didn't want to do that again. And I realized that actually I had all this anxiety, about what kind of army to run and all this stuff. And I realized at the end of the day, it wasn't worth while an event can be a very good incentive to get something finished. It shouldn't be 
a reason to stress yourself out mm. like or to um not have fun and you know the zango that i've been working on are a lot of work at the moment i am several stages deep on all 30 of them and i'm doing all 30 in a batch or 29 because i don't want to a test model mm. and so uh you know since we last spoke about it i have done all of i've base coated all of the bone on all of them and i'm about a third of the way through all of the gold trim and that's a lot of gold trim yeah that's Tom. a lot that's a lot um it's last time i did sangor it took me a week to do the gold trim on six of them like i uh, basically at the moment i sit down and uh, it takes me about 20 minutes half an hour to do all of the gold trim on one of them and as soon as i did it once i realized i'm not getting this done on time <laughs> yeah because there's that's you know do the maths basically that's 15 hours of just doing gold trim basically yeah. Yeah. um so I just do a couple a day. Like I just do a couple of them a day and put them back down and, and some work on some other stuff. Um, so I've been doing that and sort of plugging away at that. And then also I, I realized that like uh, quite deep in that and after London GT, I just really wanted to work on some other things, which I'll probably talk about when I talk about London GT. So I started just um, expanding. Like I'm really taken with this idea of this little roster of like uh unaligned chaos heroes that i'm building up so currently i've got the dark earth war queen dark earth chieftain and lord on manticore yeah. in that little set and the idea is that these are my kind of new characters and they're probably all at least one of them will make their way into an army at a given time yeah and these are sort of distinct from my zinch heroes for example in that these characters are all technically unaligned but all of them lean one way or another in terms of which gods they support mm. and the idea that i'm sort of forming because i realized that ultimately i really want to do Something I came away, and I'll, I'll talk about London GT in a minute, but like something I came away from London GT from, with, with, came away from the event with is a sense that I think ultimately what I'd really like is more of a Slaves to Darkness army. Like I want Zinch stuff, but I want it to plug into a kind of army of m sort of more kind of traditional Chaos Undivided, I think, yeah, eventually. Um, and that might end with Archeon as kind of my end point. Or at the very least, I love the Varangard models. Yeah. So Varangard is maybe like a, a treat I will give myself for finishing my shame pile, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So my idea is, and my favorite, the first book I read that really got me into Age of Sigma fiction was Call of Archaon, which mm -hmm. is about three different heroes trying to reach the Varan Spire to become Varangard. And so, um, my idea is that I'm going to build this sort of like, sort of like, imagine if you will, a dark fellowship of the ring, mm. um, who is basically like heroes questing to reach the Varan Spire and become Varangard. Nice. And so, like, I'm just fleshing this out. And this is basically an excuse to paint every Chaos Hero model I like, regardless of whether it fits in my army. Right. So, um, my only, I, I've made two additions to the shame pile, which isn't a good thing, but like, you know, I really want to paint them. One is that the only remaining sort of Slaves to Darkness model that I really, really like is the Chaos Lord on foot, who's sort of holding a spear in a really kind of imposing way and has a, a sword in its scabbard behind his back and this really cool cloak. And I had this idea I wanted to do for like a sort of uh, like a slightly different take on Slanesh. So not quite so much the sort of like sinewy sort of live elf thing mm. so much as like a sort of like sort of uh, like languid kind of hedonist duelist um, who's going to fit into the army as kind of like a heavy hitter. And also a lot of these characters get a lot better with the new command abilities because they have really good command abilities. So that'll be really fun to play. And I basically just wanted to paint some blends and stuff like that. Yeah, nice. So he's coming along. I've only done his, um, in terms of finished, in terms of show notes for tomorrow, I finished painting his face and I'm really pleased with that came out. And that was, um, like, I feel like I'm leveling up painting skin every time I do it. 
and that was sort of test of a color scheme, but also particularly I wanted to do Slanesh, um, because, uh, I use a lot of purples and greens and things in my Zinch. So differentiating it was tricky. And the, the key color that I introduced, and it's, it's not as obvious in the photos. Um, but the base of his skin is actually not a, a flesh color, but orange. And the reason for this is basically I was trying to think of like, what are the sort of like, you know, none of my sort of God specific color schemes are the normal one. And I want to stick with that. Mm. So like my corn, kind of the brass and iron thing is it's in the right spectrum, but it's not the red and gold that yeah. the corn traditionally is. Um, so for Sanesh, I had this idea of this purple to orange gradient. And the reason for the purple is, um, it's a traditional kind of regal color, right? It speaks to like sort of luxury or excess. Mm. The reason for orange, particularly orange flesh on mortals, because I've, I've painted him with quite clear skin. Like he's quite sort of, sort of like a weird looking, but sort of handsome, which is sort of the way it should. But the slightly orange tint to his skin is literally because it makes it look like he's got a slightly dodgy fake tan. <laughs> right. There's like a little touch of Geordie Shaw about him, mm. which is like the most slaneshy kind of <laughs> like dimension or an obvious kind of Trump dimension to being slightly orange <laughs> that speaks to a certain degree of kind of like sickly excess, mm. right? Which is sort of a way I wanted to push the slanesh thing without being so obvious about it. Because to stress, like I may sometimes run him with a corn mark or something or zinch like i want it to be ambiguous enough and there's going to be other things about that model when it's done that mean it can be ambiguous mm. but little things like that i love experimenting with i've also started painting um this was a total whim but at uh, london gt they were selling the um usually warhammer world exclusive forge world uh chaos dwarf demon smith which is a really cool model. And I've been thinking for a while of how I was going to replace my chaos sorcerer lord yeah. in my army. Cause it's actually quite important, quite an important unit for Zinch, yeah. chaos sorcerer lord. And you smashed my last one with Galmaraz and turned him into a Castellan. Yeah. So I don't run that model anymore. So I wanted a replacement. So there's going to be a new character joining that kind of force and that story who is going to have actually been my previous sorcerer lord's mentor. Hmm. This sort of ancient kind of, uh, granite skinned uh, not quite Chaos Dwarf, but like sort of like, you know, um, exile from the Legion of Asgore, who's good at, uh, making things on fire with the green flame, basically. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do some neat things with his base and, and I'll maybe talk to that in a minute as well. Um, that's all kind of early days. Really, I've just been painting gold trim on Zangor yeah, and doing bits and bobs of other things. Dark fate. It is, but it's, it'll look good when it's it'll done. Look like, yeah, like that unit is going to, hopefully look great when it's done and it'll be one of those things where because there's fucking 30 of them and i've taken the time to do all the detail it'll be one of the things that rewards kind of looking really closely at them yeah and there's an effect i love with miniatures generally and i love with i love with physical like the reason i love miniatures and i love dioramas and stuff is that sense that you can keep staring at something and Mm. getting more detail Mm. that's why dioramas are cool right you should you should see my horses ask chris (laughs) exactly it's like a diorama in and of itself it's incredible (laughs) Damn. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't really compete with that. So I've, what I've got to do is paint 30 birdmen. you got to... 30 I mean, perfectly ordinary men. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're they going to look awesome. Your test models are so rad. And it's going to change the kind of complexion of your army as well. Yeah. In a rule sense, but also just in, in terms of... They're, they're a more kind of subtle palette than the Zinch more generally as well. They are. Like, I have a... a like, a, not a style Bible necessarily, but there's a thing in my mind of mm-hmm. how it works. So they're getting um, iridescent metal armor with gold trim, whereas most of my demons have, like, this kind of, like, lapis lazuli turquoise armor mm. with a gold trim. 
Um, that is literally whether or not it's demonic or not. Uh, okay. So the leaders of the Zangor will have that turquoise in like their beak armor mm. and their braces, and it will reflect the fact that they're slightly higher rank. Yeah. The shaman will have it, and some other characters will have it. So I wanted to create. I was actually thinking about the things you've done with like changing specific colors in your armor of your stormcast without mm. really changing the whole and the idea is to create a sense of sort of hierarchy, hierarchy yeah, yeah definitely yeah so um right. it's also partly because it's easier to paint but it's mm. like and also i think it maybe even looks slightly better I, I think the turquoise stuff the lapis stuff looks better the better i get at painting basically that that's mm. got like a bottomless skill cap yeah but the the metal's looking kind of good so far and mm. like just um but there, there are certainly going to be things about it that I don't know if they will come off. Like there's, um, I've proportioned different recess shades across the entire force. So when they're all together and at the moment it's a little bit distracting because they're not based, they're not finished, they're not shields and all the rest of it. Uh, the shields, for example, will all have the turquoise armor instead of the mm. metal to reflect the fact that they're demonic shields that reflect magic. So there's going to be lots of little beats like that in it and hopefully it'll all come together, but catch me next month when I still haven't finished them. Mm. Um, but yeah, the hope is that when they're all together, they'll have this sort of iridescent color shift kind of effect across the, nice. That's the right. set as well. That's right. You're brave doing 30. I think most people would like to do 10, then do 10 and maybe get distracted by something else. I realized 10, yeah. that I would never finish them any other way. Yeah. Like I, I thought originally about doing them in batches of five all the way to completion each five yeah. and then do something else. But actually the gold phase has been so backbreaking <laughs> that I'm glad, like I would rather run it as a marathon than like finish it because i think if i finished it i'd just be like well i'm never doing this again yeah 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 like to force yourself to do it again um i i uh for my zinch i shade bone and gold the same way bone is rakoth flesh with seraph and sepia Mm -hmm. and gold is uh, retributor armor with seraph and sepia so i'm holding off on applying shade until both base coats are done because then i can do it in one pass which makes sense but it also means that i'm saving myself a treat which is the moment when the shade goes on yeah because you've seen them in their current state right the bone looks super flat obviously but the moment the shade goes on and it's just going to like light up and it's going to feel so good (laughs) um and then so then i do that then i do highlights of both and then i've got mutations tentacles feathers gemstones secondary weapons shields eyes mm. and teeth you sure do. did buy as each army didn't you i did yeah all the bits <laughs> that could ever be on the yeah model. talking about multiple textures on something that's not yeah a horse. for sure yeah yeah Much smaller as well you also can't see their asses so i don't know what i'm gonna do about that's that. gonna be a problem yeah it? a lot of them don't even have anything between their glasses. legs uh it's just just plastic <laughs> uh which is disappointing but what you're gonna do anyway um that's basically like so it's a, a not a hobby light month for me but in terms of a progress light month because mm. it's just like Incre- incremental birdman improvement yeah, which yeah. is also incidentally the name of my band <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to see the finish uh but also i'm glad i don't ever have to do what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna have a big birdman battle it's gonna be great point. it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be awesome. great there will really be so many birds on the table you remember, i think birds are very much last year's aos thing this year it's moons maybe that's it the yeah birds and moons but your, together but your bird can moon it can <laughs> yeah. it's fabulous winking at us yeah I've got to do the rest of them as good as his. Mm. That's going to be, that's pressure. That's pressure. Yeah. You, you can't. I just made a nice noise. That was lovely. Um, yeah. Should we talk about what I've been playing? Have you played games, Tom? Cause I appreciate that. I've gone to the game apocalypse. Uh, so not really. We talked, we talked about the tournament we did last time. Didn't yeah. We? Yeah. That was the majority of the part. Yeah. I think, um, cause I've been a, 
out and she has been out and we've been all been in different places and busy and stuff. So actually I haven't played many games at all. Um, I don't really have any battle reports to, to report. Hmm. Um, but I will play more later before next month. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether, to, again, it's just like playing games knowing that a new edition is coming out. Yeah. I, um, I liked going to London GT knowing that because it felt like a bit of a farewell tour to mm. AOS 1. Yeah, that's nice. That made sense. Yeah, like, like, I was sort of like, I played it now. Yeah, you, you told me briefly about some of the matches you had. And uh, I've got to say, you're, you're one of the un, unluckiest people to, to go into. Like, you actually I, just run into the worst corners of, uh, I did, like, I, play. I, I think I am, like, I don't, obviously, Perception bias is what it is. I genuinely think I'm hilariously unlucky sometimes. I think, I think, I, I think maybe listen to this podcast might agree with that. Like, I think I have a kind of, maybe it's because I enjoy making a story out of times I'm unlucky, but you've seen it. You've been there rolling the dice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you saw Arm and Bob. k as well. Up. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's like, and, and, all game systems. It's, it's insane on the minute, on the table. It's something hard to know what happens. <laughs> it's like, but, um, so. Yeah, so London GT was quite a big deal for me, and I, I've been I'm looking forward to it as a holiday, a little treat for myself. Yeah. Um, one thing, actually, so a hobby thing I did do, and it's been an absolute revelation for me and has made me much more comfortable about going to more things, is I finally have a good storage solution for my Lord of Change hmm. and any other large model. Oh. Um, so what I did, and this is not a new solution, but what I did, and I finally did it though, and it was less painful than I thought. And this is going to be two things, maybe my hobby tips for this month. If yours is just go for that fabulous bone wink on the arse of a horse. That's it. That's my tip for the month. <laughs> just do it. Then mine's going to be more about practical quality of life stuff. Um, so, so I'm actually not sure whether to talk about Shades by first or, or Warhammer first, but. Uh, let's do some Warhammer. Let's do Warhammer first. Okay. Yeah. So. There's a thing, I come from an X-Wing background mm. and I love Shadespire and I am not used to the faff of a big tournament and cramped confines when your army is 90 models. X-Wing tops out at like seven really and most of the time I've been running two. Do you get a tray in X-Wing? Um, you do, but you've got two models on it. <laughs> like, That's pretty design on me. Um, like, like, so there's, you know, the sort of moving things around, moving things from game to game, all this stuff stresses me out. And additionally, like the very first time I tried to move my Lord of Change, uh, in, in a big carry case, it got broken. Like I had to fix it, fix it relatively seamlessly, but like this stuff is stressful. So improving my storage and transport solution, boring as it sounds, made such a big difference to just my happiness. Yeah. Um, did it involve magnets? It does involve magnets. Ah, and a box. So what I did is I bought, and I, I researched ex- getting this exactly right, so for minimal effort. So things I bought that have done this perfectly. Mm-hmm. Lords of Change are unusually tall and wide. So, um, and spindly. So they really need this solution. Other models you could probably cram into things, but I'm really happy with this. And it means I've got a solution should I ever get Archeon or Knights or something like that. Or, yeah. Or, uh, miniature child-sized robots. Um, so what I bought was a, uh, self-adhesive piece of, uh, flexible ferrous metal, A4-sized, uh, from a magnet company, basically. So not magnetic in itself, but a ferrous piece of metal. Um, and specifically A4-sized, cause then I bought a really useful box, which is a brand of like plastic office storage container. I think it's their four liter, 14 liter one is, a4 in its base, which is really handy because you know things will fit yeah. rather than having to measure and cut stuff. And it is of the appropriate, it's, it's quite big, uh, but it's of an appropriate height and width that you can fit, uh, 
comfortably probably any model games workshop currently does see the start rate we're getting there yeah definitely sweet um then i bought some powerful flat rare earth neodymium magnets and fixed them to the base of my lord of change with milliput not with glue and that's for a really specific reason because it dries rock soil and that bond probably not going to give mm. because like you don't want the bond to be so strong it pulls the magnets off the base sure. and i don't really trust super glue yeah so um, and I magnetized my load change. I magnetized my Bellwind Vortex. I magnetized my, uh, corn, uh, blood crushes, my, you know, um, cavalry. Yeah. Like all of those fiddly models that yeah. are like going in a case. They're not going in a same thing. Yeah. My Manticore as well. Mm. And it works brilliantly. Like, and then what I did is I put that box, which is a big plastic sort of document box basically, is I have a big, uh, canvas bag, like canvas shopping bag mm. that it fits in. And because it's then hanging, um, it stays relatively stable. Yeah. So you can, and I, uh, took it, walked across town with it. I took it on the tube. I, you know, multiple trips to London, to London Stadium for the event. Um, and it was such a relief to be able to transport my load of change. Cause I mean, when we went to that tournament in, in big, <laughs> yeah. I had him on my lap on the bus the entire time. <laughs> it was cause terrifying because I have no other way of transporting him. Yeah, yeah. Sorting that out was such a big deal. The other thing is I bought, and this was a huge, huge difference maker for me, this entire tournament is I have bought and, uh, I bought, um, MDF, um, movement trays. Mm. Um, so I've got loads of them now. I've got 40, uh, 25 mil ones for 25 mil bases yep. and 30 for no 60, sorry, for, uh, 32 mil bases, uh, which is all my horrors, all my Zangor and stuff. God, that's so good for a tournament. It's so, it makes such a vast difference. Yeah. Like, because I'm not the sort of person like, um, and I'll probably like, you know, I, I don't know how much I'll go blah, blah, blah through the games, but like, uh, it makes, there's a bit of faff when you set up, but it allowed me to do things like, cause I was, um, I'll talk through what my army was because I had a battalion. It allowed me to, um, what I would do when I was setting up is put the trays down where they were going to be and put a model from the appropriate unit in the tray mm. and tell my opponent, this is Brimstone Horrors. And then set them up. And then, and then keep yeah. going. And then when all my stuff was in position, my opponent could start doing their stuff and I would start filling out my trays. Yeah. And it just saves so much time. Mm. It saves a vast amount of time with movement, although you've got to be careful, obviously, to move appropriately. Yeah. So they can kind of, the whole bot can move. But if you go around corners, you have to be free with taking things off the trays. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, but... It saves so much time that particularly running quite a model heavy army, it makes you feel like you've, you've sort of extended a bit of a kind of good faith to your opponent as well. Cause you just move a lot faster. Yeah. Um, there are some things like, because they are quite big things, they have to be, um, people sometimes forget to measure to the base of the unit model rather than to the template sure. or to the tray. Um, but you can get around that. Mm. Like you just have to remind people like, you know, if someone's measuring to the, you know, if someone's just getting in range and it just gets to the edge of the movement so, yeah, template, you go like, there's yeah. actually a quarter of an inch you're not yeah, measuring yeah, there. So yeah. like, um, but, um, the other, and then the only other thing I did is I, I just sprayed them black with like cheap, like household spray paint mm. rather than wasting good GW stuff on them. And that worked really well. And they look really like they chipped a bit, but they'll cover up nicely mm. and they look pretty seamless and stuff. And it's made that just, like I say, like a vast difference to how easy it is to move things around. Yeah. I've only done a couple of tournaments, but having encountered slow play, like I would much rather see someone turn up with those, uh, with those NDF, uh, movement trace than to have to move hundreds and hundreds of units one by one by one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Like I, so I had a, an interesting time of it. And I think 
I my goal, and I was thinking it's important when you go to a tournament to have a goal for the weekend. Hmm. And my goal for the weekend was be fun to play with through hmm. every single game. Um, particularly because I had a lot of anxiety about what kind of army to run. Right. Because the obvious army for me to build is called a change host, uh, which is a battalion for Zinch that requires a Lord of Change and eight other demon units. So it's something I'm really in a good position to do. Yeah. Um, it tends to be seen as a very competitive list because it gets min-maxed in a very specific way, which involves a Lord of Change, also Kairos, and loads of horrors, basically. Right. But I was running it with Flamers and um, Flamers, the Chariot, also the Ogre Thaumaturge and the Gaunt Summoner. Mm. Um, so I had three drops rather than one, which I could have had. So not optimal. Uh, but what it allows me to do is at the beginning of my hero phase, um, I can swap two units that are within 27 inches of Lord of Change. So the idea is you charge my pink arrows only to find out that they were flamers. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Mm. And it's so good. I really want to play a game with, against you with it, actually. Yeah, be It unlocks such an extra dimension to that army that it feels like a missing part of that army. Yeah. Like, because it makes them so tricky to play against. But, uh, I'll explain how the, how the weekend went, but like, um, some players find it frustrating and there's this, unfortunately there's a stigma attached to it because it's also a top tier thing. But actually, I find it really interesting strategic challenge. And some of the games I played, the games I played that were the best were the ones where my opponent went for the challenge of trying to force my hand with what the swaps were going to be. Mm. Like they played with the potential swaps in mind rather than being surprised when it happened. Yeah. If yeah. that made sense. Yeah. Um, but I had mixed experience of that. Um, but I had such this anxiety about like running something meta that I worried a lot about it. And so I just decided I wanted to go in and just be fun to play with the entire weekend. And then I really kind of, weird run of it because it was very packed and there were some stresses with queues on the first day because London Stadium has a pretty stringent security requirement as a high profile venue which meant thorough bag checks Ooh. and so there was a 400 person 40k tournament oh, and God. about 150 everyone's people play and yeah. everyone's got a very complicated bag yeah. so there was an hour and a half of queuing to get in well because just yeah, 400 well, bags yeah, yeah. like it was it, and I don't think they, I mean the, the, the event got some stick for a few things including the quality of the terrain for 40k um, I actually quite enjoyed the whole event. The AOS is very, very well run. Uh, 40k was vast and kind of unfathomably vast for 400 players. That's like enormous. 200, huge. 200 six foot by four foot tables yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. a place. That's crazy. It was kind of unfathomable. So I didn't kind of, it wasn't a surprise to me that some of the train was just foam blocks. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, yeah. AOS I really, really liked. Booga in, we got started and I had a bit of a sort of like, so we're talking about my luck, right? Mm. So we sit down and, uh, find my first opponent. And, uh, really nice chap. And he's got, uh, Iron Jaws army, like Oryx. And, and he says, like, this is my first game, my first tournament. I'm like, just, you know, I don't know, you're probably going to smash me, but I'm here to have fun. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> and I've, you know, I went, I lose the vast majority of my games of Age of Sigma and it looks scary, but it's fine. We take it slowly. We explain each other's armies, like, you yeah. know, just take it, have a good time. At which point the tournament organizer comes over and says, do you, guys, do you guys know either of the guys next to you? And because on the tables next to us are two guys who'd come from the same London club have been matched against each other, which shouldn't happen with the software they use. You right. enter what club you're part of so you don't get matched against one of your friends in the first round. Gotcha. Um, would you guys mind swapping? So we were like, okay, yeah. So me and uh, the like ships passing in the night, me and a fellow sort of uh, quite casual sort of here for fun type man mm. got swapped. He got swapped into, I think, a uh, Battleshock heavy 
death list right. with Arcan or something, which mm. just annihilated him super quickly. And I got swapped into a croc, croc, uh, croc list. Yeah. Croc-nado. So we both got fucking annihilated by quite, you know, tournament Brutal. minded players. Yeah. So croc if you are not aware, um, I had heard of it and I knew what it did and I wasn't ready. Like, mm. so this is probably some of the, so if you think my magic is bullshit. <laughs> Um, this is maybe some of the reasons that it's good. That a, the Bailwind Vortex is going away and the magic is changing. Yes. So Lord Croak is a seraphim uh, hero uh, who is a, a decaying mummy frog. <laughs> and not mummy as in he's a mother, as in he's like a, you know, he's wrapped in bandages and he's dead. Yes. Um. So um, he is an extremely good wizard. I can't even remember all the ways he's a good wizard. <laughs> Um, he gets four unbinds per turn. He has unlimited unbinds and he gives himself a certain amount of rerolls per turn that he can also use to reroll my spell rolls. Yeah. And he doesn't have any range limitations on those. No, he doesn't have any range limitations. Wherever. Um, he also, um, and then he has two spells. Uh, one is you, if it's successfully cast, you roll a dice and depending on the quantity of the, dice roll you either pick d3 or d6 enemy units and they each take d6 mortal wounds with no range Hmm. um i say unlimited range um and then his other one is you roll 3d6 and that's your radius but if he's on a bellwind vortex which he almost always is uh you times that by two and then you add eight because of a soros astrolith bearer who can be anywhere on the map Hmm. as long as he's he's alive and it's a small model hiding behind a hill so it's 3d6 times two plus eight Every enemy model encompassed in that radius takes D6 mortal wounds. Um, and he does both of those every turn. Um, we were also playing uh, Knife to the Heart, which is the match play scenario where you set up in opposite corners of the board with one objective each. And they're as far away as possible from each other. So there was basically no... so Such a bad scenario. <laughs> it's, it's a bad scenario. But also, um, you know, I uh, my Lord of Change has the... Um, has the command trait where he has a 27 inch unbinding range, which is normally very good. In that scenario, I was, I had no choice. I had to try and get my Lord of Change in range of Croak to start unbinding those spells mm. because every turn I'm just l- losing models by the handful just to Croak's magic and there's no way I can get anything in range. Yep. I tried a real Hail Mary play at the start by putting the Changeling next to Croak um, and taking the first turn so that I could try and nuke all of his stuff with Croak's own spells. Because hmm. the changeling knows the spells of any wizard he's near. Um, and so I, I really went for it, committed, put the changeling down next to Croak, used two destiny dice to confirm the spell on a 10, two, two destiny fives basically to confirm a 10 for the spell cast. Yeah. But unfortunately he rolled a natural five and six. So I uh, unbind yeah. and then it was over basically. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Croak can't be killed normally. No. You have to, you have to, every turn he takes a battle shock test equal to the amount of wounds he's taken. And if he fails the battle shock test, he has bravery 10, then he dies. And if not, he heals everything he's taken. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, also he had the dread saurian, which is the giant forge world <laughs> dinosaur. Yeah. Which that is, thing can teleport. It can teleport. And, um, I, uh, Jim and I fought this in the doubles tournament at Warhammer World. Yeah. And, uh, which we've, mentioned in the previous podcast and yes it can teleport and that's what they did to us as well like teleported uh mm. within range it's it's super dicey that thing yeah it gets 2d6 every time it touched thing. one of my units that unit vanished uh, okay so what happened with me was that uh 
a unit of five adjudicators held it up for the entire game. <laughs> well, for three turns, they died eventually, but they basically it couldn't hurt them. So that thing is yeah, it goes two ways real fast. So I mean, actually, I should stress like maybe this makes sense later. Like I, I think that rule stuff is like. I, I'm not a fan, like, of what's going on there. I do, I do think, Chris, what's happened here is that you have been zinched. To you, some extent. Because this like, is what it feels like playing zinched sometimes. Yeah, I, can, I get that. I do get that. However, my stuff has, apart from the Belt and Vortex, someone on top of it, an 18 inch range. Mm. Right? Like, I, I do, games. I do get it. Mm. But what I feel like, so this game in the end, and the guy was lovely, a guy called James, and the army was really nice looking. Um, but, there was a sense that, like, there was nothing I could do. Right. Like, um, I had to get my Lord of Change out in front to try and get him into range, but that's still, like, two turns of running. Hmm. And as soon as he left Safe Bubble, uh, he had deep striking Ripodactyls that came down and killed the Lord of Change in a single round of combat. Yeah, Ripodactyls are still all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as soon as that was the case, I, I was screening to try and stop the Red Saurian getting into range, but every single one of my units was taking one or two D6 mortal wounds yes, every time it's insane bear in mind like you know my lord of change can do insane numbers of lord of mortal wounds mm. but on average he does about five or six mortal wounds a turn yeah in here and I've, I've done it a lot now like i feel like a good thing about this event is i know my army a lot better and i know what kind of damage to expect like um he dies super quickly uh, and he gets much less effective as he takes damage mm. like it, i did feel bad i lost that game 2000 nil <laughs> I didn't kill everything a single died. thing yeah. and I lost everything. Yeah. And I just couldn't get close enough. Like, you know, you, you didn't have shooting as well. That's the thing. Well, I've got pink horror. I've got shitloads of shooting. Yeah. It's just 18 inch range. Yeah. Like this is, this is what's interesting to me. It's like the weakness of Zinch is, so I agree with you that like, it does feel like I got Zinch. It's the game feel thing. However, yeah. like a thing I found heartening and this is going to be a theme for the coming games is every fucking army is like this. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I honestly, be, I think Skyfires are overtuned, but we don't play with them. No. Like, honestly, like, um, there's so much stuff in Age of Sigma that does a shitload of mortal wounds or so much, so many hits you can't hope to deal with it mm. that it's not a specific army thing. Everybody has moments and phases and situations where they do an overwhelming amount of damage. Mm. And I would say every time I've been in a position to capitalize on that as Zinch, and we'll get to this, it's been because of a mistake my opponent has made or something I've done well, which mm-hmm. is how it should be. And it's the same for my opponent. My next game, because, so I lost that one disastrously, but I was like, well, that's me to the bottom tables. I literally went to the bottom table because the, the loss was that bad. Um, where I faced a cunning rook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the other really, uh, which is the one where a million orcs shoot you 180 times. Yeah. Um, so this was actually a really interesting one because it was, a, um, it was, uh, it was not the traditional cunning rook. In that it was a big block of 30 arrow boys, another block of 10 arrow boys, a block of 30 non-arrow boys, mm. spear boys, like a shitload of gore grunters and these crazy savage orc guys I'd never seen before that are all carrying a giant spear, like two of them carrying one massive spear. No, I well, don't know what they are. I don't know what they are. Cool. But, um, but, um, but it was a really interesting game because I ended up taking the first turn because I underestimated the threat range of his Savage Orcs. Because if you're not aware, they get the ability to fly, do all sorts of things. Mm. Um, so I used this to kind of move um, a bunch of dudes out of the way. Like I can't remember beat for beat. I, it was a really, it was a really strange game in some ways because um, 
So a lot of the Savage Orc spells, if the successful casting roll is a double, you double their effect. So I took the first turn. Um, I took the first turn so that I could, when I realized this, I took the first turn so I could hide my Lord of Change, basically, because he had to go somewhere. Yeah. Hid him behind tower. Um, but then uh, my opponent got a double roll for the fly spell anyway, which allowed the, um, which allowed his block of 30 orcs to fly 15 inches on the first turn. Right. And then still shoot, uh, which was enough to kill the Lord. Like, so what it should have been able to do is kill the Gaunt Summoner and the Lord of Change, at which point the game is over. Mm. Uh, what he managed to do is kill the Gaunt Summoner. And then uh, by a miracle, a, a dice miracle of my own, I had to roll. Uh, he, he didn't have everyone in line of sight, but he still got 28 wounds through wow. of the 180 attacks. Hmm. And I had domestic shielded myself, but I managed to roll 22 saves on four. 28 four ups. Four, uh, four ups. Wow. Yeah. That's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Lord of Change survived with four, with seven wounds. Yeah. Um, and then luckily, um, I then managed to get win the roll off. Cause if I, if, he, if he'd gotten a double turn, then yeah. he went second. Yeah. It's over as well. Yeah. But I then got the roll off and then managed to just open up the mortal wound cannon and kill all of those savage orcs and kill the bulk of his shooting threat straight away, which mm. is as close as I've ever come to surviving against this list. But there's so much that's cagey about that. Like I wouldn't have even been in that situation if the rolls had gone if he'd, normal. Yeah, yeah, like they were they were absurdly good for him and then they were absurdly good for me. So okay. you know, in this weird situation. And it was an interesting game. Like um and then uh, what ended up happening was um I think I made some, like, I screened a lot. Um, I made one big mistake where I, uh, it was the one where, uh, it was, um, what's it called? Duality of death where only heroes can capture yeah. points. And there are two things I forgot. One is that heroes heal when they hold points Correct. in that yeah. mode. And I also full on just forgot to kill one of his heroes, but I was basically doomed mm. after that point anyway. Um, put me in a, in a, it was an interesting game because I was sort of playing catch up, like screening and trying to protect heroes. But even 10 of those arrow boys put out so many shots with the cunning rook thing twice a turn that any of my heroes are dead. Mm. This is one of the reasons that new shooting rule is so important because yeah. they hit on fives. But That's going to kill cunning rook, which is great. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Like, and it meant that like, so my, you know, the changeling and my, um, what I should have done, I think in hindsight is actually deploy the changeling in the backfield mm. to try and dispel some of those spells in the first turn. Yeah. But he would have died immediately. And because the mode requires heroes on points. Yeah. The other thing about cunning rook is they have shitloads of heroes and there's that quite hard to kill mm. like four save against mortal wounds that yeah. kind of thing because yeah. they all get saves against mortal wounds because they're war paint mm. so i had to start killing heroes basically to try and prevent him from scoring and I just couldn't get all of them but what was really interesting about his army that i really liked about it is because he had the second wave of like gore grunters and really tough melee orcs yeah it wasn't just oh the shooting's gone it's okay it's like the shooting's gone i i've killed the thing that would take me out of the game in the first turn but then I ended up losing on turn three or four because I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't have enough left after dealing with that to, to stop, to soak up the charge, yeah. for example, and stop him from wiping me out. They managed to get the um, fly roll off again on a double on the flying orcs with big sticks, mm. but then flew over a mountain and stabbed the Lord of Change to death with a big stick. <laughs> Pretty good mental image. It was good. Yeah. It was a fun game. It was, it was a, it was a strange one because I think because I got, uh, it was one of those games where you have a very different sense of what's going on to your opponent. Mm. Cause I was basically terrified from the start. And, uh, but my opponent was pretty sore about my Lord of Change surviving that first round of shooting. Mm. And so, which is fair because I got very lucky. Lucky dice, but. But it was also the difference between there being a game after that and yeah. there being no game at all yeah. after that. And, and obviously, so the, the big things, the things that meant that we got a second turn were I saved the Lord of Change by a miracle. 
and won the roll off mm. and therefore got a second turn and could start killing things. Um, but it was a strange situation and this is a situation I think people need to watch out for generally with their mood when it comes to games, which is sometimes you, you have to just almost step back and realize that you're winning. <laughs> like, right. cause I was so on the back foot. Like I couldn't get heroes near the points. Everything was mobbed in orcs. He was so far ahead on points. I was probably never going to catch him, but it was still quite a sort of like, I was still apologizing for getting spells off and killing things. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And just simply because the sort of mood had shifted with that kind of miracle survival at the start. Yeah. So I do think, yeah, there's sort of a sense of like, I was apologizing for not losing harder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mm. Which was all right. Like, again, it was sort of one of those experiences where um, this was the entire first day, which was three rounds. Was it a little bit like this? There was like a tabling at the start by a very lovely man. And then the second guy was really nice as well. And actually, to to his credit, and I should stress this, he apologized afterwards. For being, after he'd won, he apologized for having been a little bit salty through the entire game. Well, everyone apologizes after they've won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but I felt that kind of like, like, m- we'd had such different senses of what was going on. Yeah. Like, I was just looking at, like, the game I couldn't win. That, that list is so weird. I mean, not that specific list, but, uh, the Carly Rock is so weird because it doesn't win stuff. It just turns up and just gives people a bad time and that doesn't yeah. actually get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those just, like, bad feel lists that should be out of the game already and will be, uh, once the, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, and, and like I say, maybe that sounds a little bit salty of me, but it was like, I'm very attentive to, I think, other people's mood. Because mm. I like, because I'm aware, like, I'm aware that my hero phase sucks for people. Mm. So I want to, like, you know, um, there's lots of little things I do to try and make it better for people. Like, if there's a, if the range is in any way ambiguous, I will always rule in my opponent's favor. Mm. Because if it's ambiguous, then I made a mistake. Like, I should have made it clear. And I don't want people to feel like it was an edge case sort of, you know, 50-50 chance of that actually being 18 inches or something. Mm. Like, I really want us to agree. And it's more important that we agree and, and are in the same place about what's going on than it is that I win. So, yeah, if it's ambiguous, you know, whatever. But, but I think um this is all that happened in a later game where an opponent really wanted to make sure that their hero was in 18 inches of my Lord of Change for one of their abilities. So when it was my turn, I could say, we know this is in 18 inches because yeah. we just executed this entire turn. Yeah. I'm going to set you on fire now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And that feels better to me. Statement of intent. It yeah. seems a really big deal. Something I need to learn more is like, here's what I'm trying to do here. Is this okay mm. if I do it this way? Yeah, um, and I'll explain my entire thing. list of yeah. how it works, yeah, like, yeah. And, and what all the spells do and like really make sure people understand because I don't want to give people a bad time. Mm. Whereas, I mean, Cunning Rock isn't that. It's quite simple, really. It's just... It's still a bad time. Bottomless <laughs> dice. It's also because the amount of time you have to spend watching other person roll dice because they have to roll so many. It's the same as and each, And they get re-rolls and everything. That's the bad feel about Zinch, though. Like, is that... Really? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the fact that the hero phase is just uh, loads and loads of modifiers going off and then yeah, that's loads true. and loads of dice. And it's just um, you just sit there for 20 minutes and... That'll change when you have... Like, I, I have seen that from the other side. Like, when there's wizards on both sides, mm. it does change. Because yeah. there's that, when am I going to use my dispel? Kind you're of actually involved to that extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can it, totally understand where you're coming but, from. But, but, I mean, it should should be really powerful the magic phase. That's the whole deal of uh, of that army. It's just that the, the rules around magic at the moment, as they stand, are really one dimension. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this. I'm looking forward to it being the case that we're both controlling spells in that phase. And yeah. Kind of like jockey for position and that kind of thing. Yeah. It can only get better. Yeah, but I, sure. I agree. Like... I think I'm talking about something specific about your opponent rolling. Cause we talked about this a little bit before, but when you're rolling 190, 180 dice mm. and you've got rerolls and stuff, it's, it's a long time. 
Yeah, like it's it's, it's longer than my entire hero phase to resolve that shooting attack. Like, yeah, honestly. I really dislike that as a, a point of rules writing because you can you can emulate similar odds with fewer dice. <laughs> yeah, know? even in a six, you know, a d6 system, you can do that. Um, and this happens with skeletons as well. Like, there's a recent like Warhammer community post saying, "Oh, skeletons in a perfect situation can get 480 attacks." I'm like, that's terrible for a game. <laughs> Rolling 480 dice is terrible for a, a game like where are you going to roll them like how long is that going to take you know the your opponent's got to read all the dice as well as you're yeah. trying to read them and pick them out and stuff it's it's not that's not fun Ro- rolling hundreds of dice isn't great something i did before i went to london gt is um figured out the maximum amount of dice i would ever need mm. and then um obviously short of a huge dice disaster but you can always borrow your opponents whatever for mm. stuff like that um and make sure I knew exactly how many of each color dice I had. Yeah. So I had exactly 20 green <clears throat> dice with me because 20 is a number I roll a lot. So it was like, I can quickly get my dice pulled together. And that was sort of little, again, little that's sort useful. of like speed yeah. play things. That's, that good, that's a lot. A good advice. Um, so my third game of the, the first day. So after those two, I was having fun, mm-hmm. but I was having very much like getting tabled fun, if that makes sense. Yeah, and also like yeah. getting tabled while also feeling faintly guilty about my army, which is sort of a weird thing. Mm. And the third game um, was interesting. So it was up against a Legion of Night uh, force led by Manfred, um, Mortark of Night. Yeah, awesome. Um, whose deal is that he can basically deep strike undead units mm. or, or so death units. He's a sneaky fellow. He is a sneaky fellow. So it was Manfred and two necromancers, uh, two big blocks of 40 skeletons waiting to be pulled out of grave sites. Mm. And uh three or four units of Morgasts who were the giant flying oh, yeah. skeleton They're really reaper men. Hmm. So the idea was that um, Manfred would use his ability to deep strike the Morgasts. And so this is obviously like quite an all-in strat. It's like just drop a really heavy unit right hmm. on top of something important and kill it. I've forgotten exactly what um, this was. It's actually the, a, re- a reasonably, it's the reasonably standard match play one where the point in your own territory is worth one point. The t- points in the middle are worth two. And the points in your opponent's territory is worth four. Yeah. That one. I, I really like that. Story. Yeah, it's good. Um, Dead like standard. Good. Yeah. Um, and so he put all his grave sites right on top of me, put his grave sites on the side objectives, mm. very aggressive. Um, so I basically just formed a ball, like round lord of change, horrors, screening, other horrors, screening, other horrors, Ooh. so that the logical order that they would die in would mean that they could split into each other's units, which nice. is free, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's good. So, um, and, um, and I sort of set this up, um, because actually something I found from playing against you quite a lot mm. is a situation where I'm quite comfortable is screening against scary deep strikers, which is functionally what this was. Yeah. Cause it's like, I'll let you hit some horrors. That's fine. Particularly with the change host. Yeah. I'll just swap them out for some different ones. Mm. And so what happened was um, I gave him the first turn um, as predicted. He um, and I, I gave him the first turn and I placed the changeling right on top of one of the midfield objectives. And then what he did was deep strike all of his uh, Morgasts onto my formation at various points in my back line. They all charged units of horrors and did quite a lot of damage to the horrors. He then pulled one of his blocks of 40 skeletons out onto the objective surrounding the changeling, which is very funny because the changeling is just a skeleton. Now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. um, cause he, they still don't reveal that because he's not a hero. Yeah. And they, they padded him in so much. There was no way a hero could ever get in there. So like, he's basically there for good as far as anyone can tell. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, 
And, um, but then basically what happened is because, uh, then the Zinch double turn happened and like, oh, and also he cast a spell on, uh, Manfred, who's riding his Mortark beast thing, horse. which allowed him to, his horse, sorry, of course, yeah, his yes. horse, <laughs> um, uh, which allowed him to move like 24, 25 inches in the okay. hero phase. Yeah. So he shoots across the map and he ends up nine inches, about nine inches away from the gaunt summoner, but then fails his charge, mm. which is going to happen on a nine inch charge. Yeah. Right? Like one, three, but sorry, one and three to make it roughly. One and three to make it, right? Yeah. So he fails it, but that, like, I felt bad for the guy because I think he'd had quite a rough day. Mm. But it was that situation of like, if I get a double turn now, you're bone. Yeah. Like, pun not intended. <laughs> um, like, and I did. Mm. So, um, Lord of Change annihilates Manfred. Like, just, like, sets, because, um, he parked Manfred nine inches away from the God Summoner and the Lord of Change. So I should say. Yeah. So, it's, it's the perfect situation for me. Like, I've learned so much about how Zinch magic works. And the big problem, like the thing that the one of the things that holds it in check is the fact that unlike in 40k, you do magic first, then you move. Mm. So if you're not in 18 inches and you don't have some way to move with swapping or something like that, you're not getting in range for those spells, right? And that's where so much of your damage comes from. That's yep. potentially a wasted turn. So Christmas for Zinch is you have parked your general in front of a Lord of Change on the second turn of the round. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm just going to start casting spells. And I did. And he died. So I killed, I killed Manfred and I killed... And the first two turns of the game for me, I killed Manfred, um, 40 skeletons. Because the Gaunt Summoner up on Vortex sets fire to skeletons, uh, forces their battle shock, which kills them. And then uh, two uh, uh, more ghasts. You also some dire wolves and things. Mm. And then the rest of that game was sort of just getting the pieces into position. The best thing about that game was... So I had him on the ropes from that point because it's like like there was no... You know, I'd just done so much damage so yeah. quickly. And I appreciate that that can suck to be on the receiving end of it. But the way you play against Zinch is be very careful what you put in range because it's actually very predictable yeah. what can be magicked. Yeah. It's a matter of experience though. Yes, it is. By looking at it, you don't realize exactly how much can be. Yeah. How much danger you're in. Yeah. Like, cause if he gets that short charge off, maybe loads of important things die. Mm. But if he doesn't, you know, you use, as ever with Age of Sigmar, it's knowing how much you're gambling. Yep. Basically. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but the best thing about that was like, so the Ogre Thaumaturge was kind of like low key a hero for me all weekend because mm. he's secretly really good, yeah, just really underestimated. So, um, in one turn, the Ogre Thaumaturge killed a bunch of direwolves so that the changeling could take an objective, then charged and killed a necromancer, and then on the next turn, charged and killed another necromancer, in doing so, preventing him from ever bringing it to the block of 40 skeletons onto the board. Mm. Um, so in one necromancer flattening combo basically just ended the game for me and the guy conceded like off the back of that. And it was yeah. such a nice kind of like the rest of it was kind of in the bag, but like it was nice to give the old Groider a bit of a go of it. Go someone. Yeah. And so that was day one and it was fun, but at the same time I had this feeling that like the game I won, I won off the back of an opponent's mistake more than anything else that might have been due to lack of experience or just tiredness or being a bit fed up after a day of rough games. Mm. And the other two were drubbings really mm. um not you know not an interesting like the the cunning rock game was more interesting than the croak game but it wasn't like i didn't have that kind of like i hadn't had that real kind of like thrill of a really good game mm. luckily day two was two really good games so um on 
on day two, the two games, I'll, I'll speed through this because I appreciate it going on. But like, um, first game was against, uh, Beast Claw Raiders, uh, which is a really interesting matchup. He had 10 models in his entire army. Yeah. That's a, they're an interesting list because they used to be super dominant. They used to be really powerful. Yeah. So they, they, they've got hardly any units, but they are in like enormous shaggy mammoths that do loads of more. He had four mammoths and six dudes on smaller horses <laughs> uh but i think that they're really quick and then they do multiple wounds and then either you die or you yeah die. the mortal wound up is nuts yeah it's insane. like it's a two up to hit mm. six more wounds <laughs> it's insane yeah yeah like, like they are crazy yeah. like uh, and that's that but they're not they're not capturing objectives they're, they're going to delete your army or or that that's it i think yeah and we were playing uh star strike where the, the uh, yeah. things come down uh, uh, not, yeah. and um i was really pleased with how i played this this was the one where i was like like yeah um horrors are good for this horrors are good for this but also like it was like i was like i made some right decisions i didn't just get given the mortal wound buffet handed mm. to me basically yeah, yeah, like nice. so um what i did was um i actually like i was constantly asking him which mammoth i mean horse <laughs> big horse man was which mm. um because his 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 leader has this thing where all wounds he takes are halved yeah. Uh, but to a minimum of one, which was the FAQ. So if I do, you know, 20 mortal wounds to him with a crazy good roll on the Lord of Change, he only takes 10, yep. which isn't, which is getting inefficient. Um, so, um, he, I gave him the first turn and he moved a bunch of stuff into range. And then I used my swaps basically to, um, put loads of horrors, as many horrors as I could fit with my swaps, uh, in front of, uh, his leader. Um, who still got a good save and stuff. Mm. But what that meant is I could then move up and throw like a couple of hundred four up, four up shooting attacks at him. And that was enough to kill him on the first. Wow. Nice. And that's because, I mean, he's got like 12 wounds, but it's like enough of them go through. I think his, his saves are a little bit cold, like, and that's unfortunate. Mm. But it was like, I just realized like mortal wounds are actually not going to do this. Like my one damage shooting attacks are actually better yeah. because the full damage goes through. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the really cool thing about this is I, um, I deliberately took 120 points of summoning rather than a hundred needed for the Bellwind Vortex because I didn't want to have to always use the Bellwind Vortex. And in this game, instead of, instead of summoning the Vortex because it doesn't do very much, I, um, used it to summon three screamers, a unit mm-hmm. people don't think are very good, use them to initially tie up, um, some of the, uh, so those horrors that had moved forward to shoot. Um, acted as a bit of a screen. Screamers moved up onto when the first meteor came down. It came down right in the middle of the board. Mm. Screamers moved up onto that, and then the next turn I swapped them so that they were. Um, no, hang on, no, I didn't. I I used them to hold the objective so I could get other blue horrors onto it, and then move them out to tie up another unit, and just kept sort of managing these sort of um like demon exchanges to kind of do the screening hmm. and then ended up with a, a situation where the Ogrodamaturge basically just charged and held up three very big horses um by himself for a turn, hmm. killed one of them and then got the other ones down, at which point um I'd managed to get uh Flamers and the Screamers to his backfield objectives and just held all of them. And it was just, a, for me, it was a really satisfying game of like, and a really, really lovely dude. Um, uh, with a nice looking army as well, a guy called Ian. And like, it was just one of those sort of, like, I knew exactly what I wanted to achieve on every turn and did it, but without sort of obvious shenanigans. It yeah, was just yeah. sort of like, like, it was nice that summoning something other than the vortex turned out to be the right approach. Yeah. I did try something, 
really, really dumb. Mm. So the Gaunt Summoner, if he lands a wound, um, you roll two dice and in, in melee, if you roll, you roll two dice and if you can beat your opponent's bravery, you instantly remove a model. Mm. Normally this is bad because most things are only, because you want to kill something that's only one model in the unit, like a hero. Yeah. But most heroes have really good bravery. Guess what doesn't have good bravery? Big, big, big horses. <laughs> Do they not? Well, no, because they're just a line unit. Like right. just a huge line unit. It, well, so I tried a charge form with the Gaunt Summoner <laughs> and missed. Oh, lucky. <laughs> and then he got completely flattened. Yeah. But he tried. Worth a shot. Yeah. You tell him it's ribbons. Yeah. Um, then, um, so yeah, getting to the end. My final game, um, was against a girl called Jani. And this was one of those sort of like, I was feeling good after that game, but also I was feeling good because I got, um, shortlisted for best painted. So it was in the top 10 best painted at the event. Fantastic. It was really nice. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit, I think, as well, if, if we've got time. Like, um, but by some kind of crazy coincidence, uh, this guy, uh, Jani, who had a, a really cool Stormcast army, but converted with Fire Slayers. Yeah, so they yeah. looked like kind of ascended Fire Slayers. Pretty cool. Uh, with some Fire Slayers. Um, he and I ended up on the same table uh, for Best Painted for display. Oh, sweet. So, and this game took place after that, those displays were taken down. So I was like, why don't we just play here? So <laughs> yeah, we just yeah. turned our armies around and went, yeah. went for it, which was really nice. And he was a really lovely dude. And this was one of the, genuinely one of the best games of Age of Sigmar I've ever played. Mm. Um, like... So, um, to give you the highlights, uh, we played, um, what's it called? Oh, fuck. I forgot the name of the, it's the one where you, it's the good scenario where you can tag an objective and then leave it. Mm. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. It's not the one with the ridiculous, uh, deployment zones. Yes. It's the crazy staircase it's, deployment zone one. Yeah. Right. Um, and so he had, uh, a star drake a unit of tempestors which are the fulminators with crossbows yeah fulminators loads of volkite berserkers and a uh hero of a, a um fire slayer hero that lets him tunnel mm. and then three units adjudicators in space okay basically yeah so very little deployed yeah so i uh redeployed the um changeling onto one of his backfield objectives mm. and then let him um go first so what he did was untunnel all of his uh, fire slayers <clears throat> onto that objective in order to kill the changeling, which he then did. Sacrificed the changeling, mm. but it meant that I knew exactly where his Volkites were, so I could um, gaunt summon it away. And in my first turn, managed to kill all of his Volkite berserkers, or like down to about three or four, and his Stardrake mm. with just uh, the... Actually, no, it was on, uh, I got a double turn, which is super important. Lord of Change totally... Uh, was it a double turn? No, I think it was actually just one turn of magic, but it was a kind of a nuts turn where I had to cast every single... I cast maybe six spells to kill the Sardrake in a single turn. Yeah. And it ended with me having to cast... No, it was a different turn because it ended with me having to cast the... Uh, it had exactly one wound left, mm. but it had the Castellant buff on it. So I knew that if I shoot it, yeah, it it's got, I'm going to heal it back to full, basically, yeah. as far as I could tell. Yeah. So, and I had nothing else. I had no other mortal wound thing I could do. So apart from the Gaunt Summoner's anti-horde spell, where you pick and roll a dice for every model in the unit, and oh, yeah. four up it's a mortal wound. Oh, so yeah. I just cast that yeah, and yeah. with one target, and I got a four. And nice. so I managed to, to kill it. At which point, he obviously looked pretty sad because he'd lost that and then managed to take out his fulminators but we had this really really tense uh back and forth where the judicators came down on my back line because i gave him a space which i really shouldn't have done and started causing real problems and because you get extra points when you take an objective from your opponent yeah we were both trading them back and forth all the time 
and it ended with this crazy just series of things. So the game in the end was 14 points to 13 to him. Mm. But on the final turn, we had this nut situation where I got, I needed a natural one on some pink horror bottle shock to hold onto a point and didn't get it. But I did get a natural one on some brimstone horror battle shock, which mm. kept one brimstone horror alive, which was enough to allow me to swap that one brimstone horror for 20 untouched blue horrors, yeah, 20 units, 20 models automatically cap a point. So they could take a point mm. that my opponent had taken in the backfield. So. At which point it comes down to only the Ogroid Thaumaturge who has to kill a, uh, fire slayer hero and then a relictor. And he loves relictors. Yeah. It's <laughs> in a single turn. And he can actually do this because he gets mortal wounds on the charge and mm. things. Uh, I managed to shoot off one of the people on that point, kill the fire slayer hero with a fire blast from the Ogrothaumaturge, make the charge into the relictor. And because he does mortal wounds when he charges, it's D3 mortal wounds when he charges. He was so, he was on one health, so he gets plus one to hit. So he has the potential. I think he can do up to about 10 damage in the combat phase, mm. but I um, managed to do one damage mm. in the entire round of combat Damn. just on natural dice, basically. Yeah. And it was over, but it was such a good game. And it was it's just one of those, like, um, I've, I've sped up a bit. It was the one I was probably would have unpacked if I, if it was not so long ago as well, but it was mm. such a good, like, crazy run of like decisions and counter decisions. And for me, I think the important thing about it was it was that, like, I did the Zinch thing. Like he accidentally parked his Celest, his, um, Star Drake 18 inches away from the Lord of Change and really paid for it. Mm. But also throughout the entire game, he was playing against all the stuff he knew I could do. He was measuring to see about my swaps. He was figuring out which units could swap potentially mm. and trying to have contingency plans for like, what if those horrors become flamers or whatever? Yeah. And that felt really good. It felt like we were both engaged with the game. Mm. And I had a great time. I think he had a good time and it was just such a really nice end to the weekend. And I think the thing about that that made me realize is like, and I said this before, I think, but like taking a sufficiently active interest in how your opponent's stuff works that you can reach for the counterplay makes those games feel so much more alive. And it's not to say that there always is a counterplay. Mm. And I appreciate that I put opponents in situations where there's no counterplay to what I'm doing. And I've been in situations where there's no counterplay to what my opponent's doing, but I think there is a gray area that a lot of games of Warhammer exist in where there is a counterplay, but it takes a little bit of extra learning about your opponent or a bit of stretching beyond your normal game plan to get at it, which is probably a, how you become a better player and he won that game and he deserved to win that game, but also how you end up having more fun with those matchups. Yeah. I think uh, that can only happen when people bring relatively balanced lists that aren't trick lists. True. Uh, so I think you see a lot of the tournaments, people bring a list that does one thing well and either it does it or it doesn't. And there's no, it's not flexible enough to really adapt and be, you know, be a, uh, generically good in lots of different scenarios. It's, it's the Croaknado is just, I mean, it's going to die to certain armies, which is why you don't see Croaknado lists winning all the time because certain things just shoot Croak and that's the end of it. Um, and that's kind of what well, the, the game you played at the end. That was the ideal. That's when two people bring, Bring armies that are flexible and can do a lot of different things, and then yeah. people match wits. Yeah, you're that's right. Awesome. Uh, not trying to game the meta; it's just about doing the, the war game. Mm. Yeah, yes, you're right. I think, um, like, I mean, first place and second place were both plague, t- plague touched warbands, right? Um, and third place was a murder host, and fourth place was a change host. I think so. It mm. was very much the sort of. I think so. Maybe mm. it was something different. I think I might be actually completely wrong about that, but it was a very like meta top half. Yeah. 
and that's the nature of the game but yeah. you're right like it does come alive when people run relatively not just balanced, like but like yeah, yeah like um even though Miami's nonsense like it still worked but it's still got infantry it's got a bit of combat it's got uh a couple of centerpieces mm. and some wizards like it is it is like a it's not like a one note like one trick thing like it's, it's it, not min max that's it, for sure yeah uh, and stormcast by their very nature can't be like a, a hammer strike is gone that used to be the big trick yeah, yeah and there was um there's another one that people were running recently but for the most part stormcast tend to be fairly mm. you've got lots of different units they do lots of different things you have to play adaptably so um i appreciate that we're running along this pod but i did really want to talk about what best painted made me learn yeah i can probably do this quickly so um a really important thing i learned about painting for for events and stuff and i thought this is something that um it's one of the reasons i came home and started thinking differently about what i wanted to do but i was really obviously really chuffed to get nominated really chuffed and as soon as i saw the other entries i was like i'm not getting further than nominated this Ooh. is this is fine like there was a a guy had done a non-metallic metal stormcast army like yeah. that was like okay hmm. but one thing that, uh, that struck me though is like i started to look at things closely and i realized that like um i thought if you know if it was if it was judged and it was judged purely on like smoothness of blends and like brushwork stuff i think i would have been in with a shot of like top three hmm. not, maybe not top but like pretty high up the places where i was really far behind i think were things like contrast basing and like um conversions specifically mm. like a lot of the armies that looked great didn't look great super close up they had really good tabletop look yeah. and a lot of that came down to things like really bright bases really aggressive highlighting like i'm quite i, I paint colorful models but i tend to be quite cagey with highlighting and i think it's because i paint in my conservatory in daylight mm. and then under a really good light otherwise so aggressive the things you're talking about that that wink that makes the horse ass shine that's all you need right that takes you know you you paint in good light as well for the most point yeah. right like it can you can sometimes feel like i'm breaking this and then you look at it and you're like holy shit that looks way better than i thought it would mm. like that's something i really need to learn i think uh, i think it's a big difference between painting for like something i kind of figured out is it's a very different thing to paint for a judged painting competition where you're painting for judges to pick it up and look under under good light and when you're painting for what would be the case at most events where it's a player vote yeah. based on people doing a tour of the table like those are very very different things like um and i realized that like this is like not a problem i can really solve for my zinch now mm. because like you know there's the old logic of like have a dark base if you have colorful models which is what i've done for my zinch but actually the stuff that was winning has extremely colorful bases for extremely colorful models. Yeah. And it's just all bright all the time. Yeah. And it looks just good. Up. It just looks very poppy and kind of like, don't know how well it would photograph super close up necessarily, but it was very effective. And yeah, it was a real eye opener in terms of like mm. how to paint to win. Yeah. That's interesting. Would you, level. would you want to do that though? Or would you on the, on your shelf at home, would you prefer to have something that kind of, looked good under the lights that you normally look at them under i don't know because i like yeah i could i think i'd like to push it a bit further like mm. i think i think it's not a case of like my stuff's perfect for the situation it's in i think it'd be better i think that's the thing it's mm. like taking more time over bases for example is something yeah. i could definitely do mm. 
because it makes a huge difference. Um, it was heartening to realize that like, actually my, my issues weren't wholly technical. Mm. Like if I'd gotten there and like, I remember when, when I was in Cardiff, the best painted nominations were just better than my stuff in every regard. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't make the cut. And for obvious reasons, that's fine. But in this case, it was like, oh, actually like this technical stuff that I feel like I'm doing as well, if not better than a lot of people, but it's like, uh, what's lacking is the sense of the whole or like that kind of wow factor from a big conversion. Even if that conversion isn't painted particularly elegantly, like yeah, yeah. you go like, Oh shit, look at that. And like, that's what, that's what counts. People are voting. There's also a sense you have to get away from the expected identity of the army. Yeah. You have to do something kind of crazy, especially painting Stormcast, for example, like everyone's seen Stormcast. Like they're people, if you're into AOS, you're, you're so overexposed to them. They've been released all the time. The Hammers of Sigmar. So you, you're never going to win best painting with the Hammers of Sigmar color scheme, I think. Like you, it could be beautiful. It could be in Norman Dynamic Metals, but I think on the tabletop, it's going to look like default. Yeah. And it's not going to pop out to your, you know, people, your average consumers who are there playing the games. So they're going to love a crazy pink Sylvaneth force, or they're going to love something a bit more different and really kind of unusual and an an unusual treatment of an army that would otherwise be normally familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's that sort of stuff that I think gets the popular vote a bit more in painting competitions. Uh, so, um, there's a guy who wins a lot with just like a turquoise. It's like a mixed order list, but it's all in just like, yeah, actually he was at Cardiff. Oh, right. In real life. It's very nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful, but it's so unconventional and it's like, it's not how you'd paint any of those units normally. And it's, it's that difference. I think that people Mm. latch onto as much as anything, you know, the beautifully painted, uh, you know, uh, barracks, Zilfin caradron list that everyone runs. But it's just going to look like a GW army, whereas people want to see mm-hmm. new stuff. And then yeah. you've got to shock and kind of awe a little bit, I think. I think you do. I think there's also, there's a bit of an X factor in, in those, like, I think partly if painting and, and painting competitions are a priority, and this is something that I was thinking about, like, cause I think I am far more likely to be able to win either a sportsmanship gong or a painting gong before I ever win <laughs> yeah. an actual, hmm playing games and winning them gong especially if you keep like rolling croaknado in your first game in uh, every tournament <laughs> yeah um yeah um but like so there's um um but but a fact is something i hadn't considered is is when it's player voted particularly at a big event um people go to events with their mates and often with their clubs and if someone is nominated and is the only person from the club who's nominated they will get yeah, a voting spike because sense. of that. And that's not like, I don't think that happened in this case, but it was something that occurred to me because I, I saw it happening in other competitions. Like, you know, I went and browsed the 40k entries and the Horus Heresy entries, which were also great, but you could see guys in their team jerseys and there'd be like 15, 16 guys all crowded around one entry going like, Oh, Jim got the thing. Like, make sure we all vote for him. Yeah. Like that's that is an X factor that you do not have to deal with in golden demon. Right. Mm. Like, and so that's worth considering as well. That Like, I think it's a bit of a roll of the dice sometimes if that's what's important to you. Like for me, it's an, it was just a nice kind of like, Oh, that's a nice thing to have. And it was mm. cool to set my army out and have people walk past it and have a look and not understand it. I did hear one guy say, I'm not voting for that siege, <laughs> which was just like, Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you do have the, uh, the, there's definitely more so than almost any other list. I think Zinch have got a bad rep. Uh, just for, since, since they came out for whatever reason. Why does everyone hate my gribble, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I remember we ran into it in the double tournament in Bristol. It was like people would look at your beautifully army, beautifully based army and be like, oh, I think that's what people think. Yeah, and then they play me and I'm the <laughs> stupidest, unluckiest man alive. 
Apart from that one time the Lord of Change saved 22 things. <laughs> Which is justice more than anything else. Um, man, yeah. So that was London GT. Sounded intense. It was. It was. I came away from it completely exhausted, but ultimately more excited to paint and play more Age of Sigmar mm. than I thought I would after the first day, if that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Sounds like a, sounds like a rough first day. Yeah. But it was like, there's just so much, like, it takes so much work to be good at having fun in that environment, I think. Mm. Like, I, I, you know, after I lost that big first game, I just went and started drinking. Like, I get the first beer in early. Yeah. Cause like, fuck it. Like, it doesn't mm. matter. I'm there to have fun. And I, um, I think, I think one thing I did come away from it though is I, I'd like to do more narrative events. I think I'd like mm. to, I think it's possible to single out events that are more geared towards the type of play that I want to do. Yeah. You know, necessarily. Um, and that's not to say I don't want to have those games against the meta stuff because I don't mind losing and I don't care about like, you know, I, I want to ultimately have fun and it is possible to have fun while also getting tabled by a magic frog, to mm. be honest. Um, but, but it's po- probably possible to invest the time and money it takes to go to an event and going to events where you're more likely to hit the compatible attitude more of the time. Yeah, we should, um, look into that notice of events. Um, the thing I seem to have observed whenever I've looked into them is that they come with extremely complicated rules packs that just heap on rules upon rules upon yeah. an already complicated game. And, uh, that puts me off quite a lot. Uh, but there's also a hobby, usually a hobby side to that in terms of prep. That's true as well. Yeah. You have to buy and paint up models specifically for a mm. lot of those tournaments uh but yeah we should keep an eye out and see if we find any good ones yeah we should do so i did also play in a shades by a grand clash but we are short on time and we've got quite a lot of questions to go through sure so i'm just going to say this don't make changes to your deck not test them whatsoever and then lose all of your games <laughs> very good that's advice. my hot tip very good advice hot tip got annihilated maybe i could talk about it another time if we talk about chase because actually someone did ask us to, to pick up back on chase and where it's at but yeah we can uh play some more maybe play some games for the next one in fact that who knows they might have announced a, a new chase by by then the way things are going i think it'll be later in the year but the, yeah. yeah like yeah i'd love to talk about it because it's, it was a nuts day and as you know i take shape quite seriously so yeah. me coming directly at the bottom of the rankings and getting the wooden spoon prize is new for me um <laughs> to get an actual wooden spoon uh, I got some objective cards that I was told was the wooden spoon prize, but then everybody got them. The <laughs> <laughs> you got the special ones. Yeah. Good. I got, if you want to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a danger of getting into it, but like, if you want to hear about me and matchups, why not? I just, so Magos Fiends round one, the worst possible matchup for Columbo Rivers. Aggressive Orcs round two, an all right matchup. Extremely passive Stormcast round three, mm. a sad matchup. And then aggro stormcast round four, a really fun matchup in the best game of the day, which is my theme basically. Like, yeah, hey. aggressive stormcast. I, I I hate those passive uh, defensive lists and chase by. Yeah. <laughs> my least favorite. Um, they're really annoying. I yeah, I had um I had a real time, I had a real time, <laughs> but um and uh, I really couldn't have, uh, as I documented on on uh, Twitter at the time, couldn't have fallen harder into the bin if I tried. Like I just, it was really stupid. I just made some changes and it ran an experimental deck that I hadn't tested and it just didn't work. <laughs> it just didn't work. I, it's not a broader point. Like I was quite happy with how I played in a lot of the situations. Yeah, yeah. It was just, I'm holding six upgrades. What the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> like, um, yeah. Blood Reavers won the entire thing. So Blood Reavers are good. Yeah. Don't worry about Blood Reavers. Just worry about me. <laughs> um, and a very similar deck to mine as well, just without the stupid thing I did <laughs> and didn't test. So there's oh, really well. no need to talk about it for an hour because I did that. However, I did have the best first turn of my life. 
I killed Angerad and Steelheart in the first round. Uh, did you win? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I won that. did you not win? <laughs> yeah. I killed Oberyn in the first, second activation in the second round. That's very good. Yeah. It was just like, well. That must be the saddest storm. It was the happiest the Arnulf you've ever seen. <laughs> very it good. was Arnulf with Hero Slayer and uh, mm. Mighty Swing oh, on no, the first yeah. round. Oh, so he got the both. We'll go. He got Ungrad, didn't get Steelheart, oh, and then okay. Steelheart got, got bopped on the head by someone else. Okay. Um, yeah. That's my story. Anyway, let's do questions because we really don't have time to talk about it. It's by Juice writes, Dear Miniaturists, I write this sitting on a balcony, starting staring out at the coastline of Tobago. Lovely. It's nice. I've been reading some 40k novels while I'm here. Putting the two together has given me a thought. Hmm. When we talk about representation in minis gaming, we're almost always talking about gender and race. I think both of these are important, but it feels like there's a third thing we never seem to talk about, culture. Both 40k and AOS are heavily influenced by Western culture. This is both understandable and overall fine. GW is a British company after all. However, I would love to see some more influences from around the world, if only for increased variety. Do you think it's even possible for GW to do this without being kind of racist? Or could GW pull a Black Panther and insert some Western culture in their largely Western setting in a respectful and successful way? Are there cultural elements you'd like to see that are currently not there? I'm aware that, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm going down to the pool now. Mr. Juice. <laughs> yeah, man, having a lovely life. So I would like to but- draw attention to the white scars and the way they are written in a lot of the early Horus Heresy novels. Right. As, because they're sort of, um, like, uh, Golden Horde kind of Genghis Khan derived, sort of like, ostensibly a kind of Asian mm. influence to Space Marine chapter. Right. And yeah. the, yep, the, the writing is unforgivable, basically. Right. Like, there's no reason they shouldn't speak excellent fake Latin, given, like, they're a sort of, I don't know how best to describe it, like, yeah, it's not good, basically. No, like, I, and that's yeah. I, I think the the point you make in the question is correct. Is that if GW were to attempt too much of that, there's only one way it's going to look. Even if you were to get the right voices in to do it, like it's just it's such a difficult. Territory the thing is, tread. like, forty k is set. Like, so we joked about this in the last episode. Like. It is inexplicable that no matter what planet you're on, you go through the space marine process and you come out as Mark Strong. <laughs> yeah. You come out as British actor Mark Strong. Mm. Um, it's so pervasive, the kind of British space marine thing, that it can be sort of glossed as a stylistic choice. A naive stylistic choice, but a stylistic choice. In every other regard, it is the 40th, 41st millennium. There's no reason any Earth culture should be outwardly visible. Hmm. And whenever they attempt it, it comes off really, really weird. Yeah. So I take the Britishness of spacemen as a stylistic choice in the same way as the fact that you read them speaking English, but they're actually speaking Gothic. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I I think the, both in the fantasy setting and in the futuristic setting, it's almost a blessing that it stops them from having to do this. Yes. Other, other fantasy fictions that try and do this almost always just make stereotypes of entire cultures. And well, the old bad. world, basically. This is one of the good things yeah. about AOS compared to the old world, right? Mm. Like, it's detached itself from real history. Mm. Not to say that, obviously, Warhammer wasn't real history. <laughs> it <laughs> didn't actually it? happen. But it was, you know, it's like we've got, you know, we've got some Holy Roman Empire era, like, Germans over here. And mm. we have some mythological French people over here. And we've got, like, some, you know, Spanish people 
down in Tilia, I think. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it was fundamentally grounded in, yeah, in, I, in I, European I, history. And it's like, yeah, that weakens it, I think, ultimately. It was, it was, it was at least grounded in European history. So, uh, so for example, the thing that made the Warhammer fantasy work in the old world was that, um, for example, the Bretonians drew on Arthurian legend a lot and a lot of mythology, basically. It was, mm-hmm. it was basically about kind of folk lore made flesh um but you never saw like a samurai faction and a kind of uh cafe oh really yeah oh i don't remember that was there was that yeah. an old army it was never i don't think they ever had miniatures but there's, they're in the fiction there's kind of like um so you're right there's a, a strong germanic influence like the reichland yeah. and stuff like that but there's also stuff like you know sort of like indigenous south american culture is heavily in that game mm. they're just lizard men yeah Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's not a strength. And the more you but move. But that, again, that's like Aztec. That's like Aztec. Yeah. But they, they still weren't lizard people. No, like, I, I know, but that's like mythology. It's about making mythology into. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I get that. I just think it's, I think it's better for everybody when you detach this stuff from yeah, yeah. those kinds of origins, right? Like, yeah. it can be influenced by, like, what I'm saying is, yeah, totally influenced by Aztec mythology, but they also chose to locate it in Lustria, mm. which happened to be on a continent to the west of the Europe mainline mm. in the south of that continent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a bit like Warcraft is exactly the same thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, it's not great when they try and do this, but like the best thing to do is look at other model ranges, like, uh, there's some sweet, uh, sweet models being made in Japan, like Mecha. Like extremely expensive mecha models, but beautiful mm. ones. Uh, follow Tom Walton on Twitter for, uh, lovely Yeah, Tau. Tau yeah. are sort of a weird example of this because there are aspects of that that yeah. aren't that good from a cultural sensitivity point of view, but it were a way of including, uh, obviously Japanese inspired mecha designs into mm. 40k yeah. in a way. Yeah. It can work. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, I just, I want them to be, I want them to represent more of humanity without feeling a need to represent culture specifically. And in fact, add more things that are unique to those settings and not outwardly just openly derived from real history. Because I think often that history is presented without its context Hmm. or without its consequences or real weight. Like something I really like about Age of Sigmar is that, you know, uh, it's fantasy races do not exist in, in solely in enclaves are examples of that, but like the big sort of cities of order are, you know, every, every fantasy race, elves and dwarves and humans and things living together. It's much more cosmopolitan fantasy than Tolkien kind of established mm. where Tolkien's fantasy races map onto specific real world historical cultures yeah, in a way for sure. that risks being pretty dicey from that point of view. Yeah. So moving forward into the age of Sigma thing where doesn't really matter if you're a dwarf you can be from anywhere and adhere to any faction is a good thing like yeah less please basically is what i'm saying but yeah 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 more abstraction and more i mean the 40k universe is quite capable of carrying entirely new uh, like uh amazing transhuman factions like the uh the Mars cults. Yeah. That's an awesome idea. Yeah, it doesn't have to be tied to any particular... Yeah, like, yeah the mechanicas aren't uh, based on any specific... Uh, it's just a cool sci-fi thing, right? Yeah. And, and everyone can have fun with that without accidentally... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Doing yes. a wrong... Yeah. And they all speak like robot Oxford dons, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's just 40k. Uh, a next question comes from Adam, who writes... Hi, Chris and Tom. I'm just embarking on a Thousand Suns army, and I want to keep the warp flame really consistent across the models. Mm. How do you do yours, Chris? Thanks, Adam. Uh, so I just thought I'd answer this super quick. 
Yeah. My warp foam recipe has changed quite a lot over the time. Currently, it's white base, then uh, a... Uh, so then, uh, warpstone glow, not warpstone glow, uh, the green, what's the green glaze called? I've gone completely blank. Coelia, no, no, Coelia. The glaze, um, a Waywatcher green. Right. Waywatcher green, uh, wet blended with a little bit of, uh, Lamenta's yellow glaze in spots mm. towards the center of the flame because it gives it just a little bit of, a little bit of yellow makes it feel more flamish. Then mm. it looks less like toothpaste or cabbage, which is the two problems I've had yeah, with previous recipe. <laughs> How did you get away from cabbage? Yellow. Just yellow. Yeah. Huh. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no yellow wink at the burning heart of a cabbage. What's <laughs> <laughs> the pussy? Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, then, uh, then, um, a little bit of Athonia camera shade wet blended with, uh, Coelia green shade towards the tips of the flame. Basically just shades. And then if you want to darken up a bit on the tips and make it, uh, you can sometimes return to the base with white and dry brush like a dark green mm. or like an inky by darkness onto the very tips of the flame. That's basically it. Nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, Travis writes, hello, use, I don't play miniatures games, but your talk of managing huge piles of dice got me a thinking. I think I can design and 3d print a hand cranked dice dispenser. <laughs> A, di- a dice dispenser, if you will. It could have a digital readout to display the number of dice dispensed and a button to reset the counter. An optical interrupt counter would give very accurate and reliable counts. This is a good idea. The folks at the Discord channel suggested that it be shaped like a dice vomiting skull with a spot on top for dribbly <laughs> candles. Bonus question. What's with the aversion of dice rolling smartphone apps and tabletop gaming? Love, Travis. Yeah. Cheating this is, is the aversion. Yeah, the, yeah, totally. But um, I completely... I dig this question because... I wish there was like a, if we're going to get into 480 attack skeletons, I'd love there to be like a, a a thing that a little screen by the side of the thing where both players can see you inputting the rolls and then press a button and then have it turn up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because rolling 480 dice is dumb. Rolling 200 dice is dumb. (laughs) It's just not a good like way of working out what's going on on the tabletop. Mm. And this is why stuff like X-Wing and um, the, uh, new Star Wars tabletop game is Legion. Legion are great because they they do a lot of crunching with the very much fewer dice rolls. And I wish I wish they would do that in Warhammer. I, I do like rolling dice physically. It, I mean, it's tactile. I don't like rolling that many dice. That's the thing is ten, twenty, fine. Hundreds should never happen. I think yeah. that's just terrible. I think that's just bad. <laughs> like, I mean, it's bad for both players because it's hard for the, your opponent to see what's really happening as well. As you're just you're picking loads of dice out that have missed and then re-rolling the rest again. And uh, they're going everywhere and you're just rolling onto the tabletop and they're knocking over miniatures and stuff. It's just it's just not how it should work. And you could, you could get the same do- odds out of fewer dice. Um, but if we're going to go down the road of rolling 480 attacks, then let's, uh, let's get a little machine that does it on the side. Mm. Yeah, you know? I can see that. And the reason for the aversion is simply that a obviously machines um a counting machine is one thing a, a dice rolling app uh they exist for game systems but there's uh you know unless both players are using the same stuff hmm. it's like your suggestion tom that works but unless both players are using the same stuff it's a little bit cagey like apps you know obviously dice can be weighted and things um uh maybe that's the benefit of fucking millions of dice hmm. is very hard to cheat on that scale and not have it be blindingly obvious. Yeah. Um, but I'd say that there's more distrust towards digital apps when it comes to cheating or weighting the odds or things than. Yeah. 
There's something honest about rolling dice, but rolling hundreds of dice again, you just get it back into mm. silly territory. And no one likes it there. No. No. That's where the horses are. <laughs> uh, Pete Wright. Hi, hello, Chris and Tom, the wizard and the newly announced armored wizard. <laughs> Uh, this, uh, my question this month is, do you think the GW will move away from physical books in the near future for gaming? I love owning my small library of codexes and battle tomes, but they do suffer from an inconvenience factor when it comes to indulging all the FAQ changes, something that would probably be much less of a problem with an updated digital documents. Is this something modern GW would consider, or are the physical books here to stay? Love the pod. Pete slash Fienya. No, I think that they're totally here to stay. I think GW love printing books. They print yeah. so many of them, and I think like, loads of people buy them. I love... I own two Stormcast Battle Tomes. I'm going to own a third one soon and a raw book. <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't mind. It's fine. I, they, they make them big, beautiful publications full of color, full color art and, uh, yeah. of lore and fluff and stuff. And they, they, I think they, um, take a lot of pride in their printed publications actually. So I think there's no chance of them disappearing soon. No. So when I started, when I got into OS, I thought I would go digital books only using the app. Unfortunately, that is not good. Mm. Um, because the app is not as good as it could be. If, if, so I would, I agree with you. I think there's pleasure in owning the physical books. I think they should totally sell digital copies of the books. Absolutely. But the digital copies of the books are actively quite unpleasant to use for in-game stuff because right. you're flicking through PDFs. That's basically what you've got. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, if it was better indexed, it would be a different matter. And then there's an issue with, for example, Azir, which is the subscription list building app, mm. where like, because I don't own, for example, the Disciples of Zinch Battle Tome in Azir, because I have it in real life, I can't add any, I can't use the rules for any of the, the battalions or anything like that. Yeah. What I think they should do is, and they could maybe even increase the cost of Azir or have it as a bolt on, is I would totally pay for a rules subscription service that got you only the battle time specific rules mm. and nothing else from the battle times. So your app, if my iPad could easily pull down any battalion from any battle time or any, or any, uh, uh, battle plan from any battle times, so like five bucks a month. Yeah. I'd totally pay for those. that. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah, it stops me from buying every book that comes out, but I don't, I'm not going to buy every book that comes out. No. You know, you buy the books, for the armies you really care about and, but you subscribe for everything else that, that I would do particularly if it incorporated that stuff more seamlessly into the app. Mm. The issue is that the app's not good enough to sustain it at the moment. So, no. yeah. I, I think hopefully maybe at some point in the future, they'll look at X-Wing 2.0, which I, I mean, we haven't seen that app yet, but app integration, I think is a, a great thing for war games and could potentially demystify and de, you know, decomplicate. That's not even a word, but you know, it could, it, it could, could do that. It could really <laughs> yank the curtain. It back. could really yank the curtain back on that war gaming and make it super horse. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We're getting horse. <laughs> um, it's been a long pod. Yeah. We've drank quite a lot. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Got a few beers. Um, the, uh, yes, like there was a, I can't remember what I was going to say. There was a good app at London GT for scores. It was good. Oh, yeah. That's, That's what I was going to say. That's so good. It was good. Uh, yeah, GW's uh, app rules integration could be much better, and I'd love to see them improve that. Yeah. Yeah. Yank that curtain, GW. Mm. Um, Kingsley writes, Hi, Chris and Tom. Often the most impressive model on the table is the centerpiece, where the designers get to cram all the extra detail that won't fit on a normal mini. The model I'm most pleased with in my collection is my Carnosaur, with its hundreds of individually highlighted scales. But I can't help eyeing up the start collecting Sylvaneth box with that big old tree lord in it. Hmm. What are your favourite not so miniature miniatures? I think we can all guess the Lord of Change and Star Drake from your own collections, but what about the wider range? Cheers, Kingsley. Ooh. Good question. Yeah, I do like the Bloodthirsters. 
uh, I, I, I super think something about the way they're leaping that makes is, is like, I like this, but it's slightly more frolicky than mm. I, you would think. You think they're more like kind of pan in the forest. So Scarbrand, the Scarbrand model is sort of like quite planted on the ground. And yeah. Kind of like, I'm going to fight it's you. Cause it's cause his wings are, his wings are broken. Yeah. But the rest of the bloodthirsters are sort of mid skip in yeah. a way that I find quite charming, but it's sort of, it's not very corny. Well, it's very corny, but it's not. Cahorny. Cahorny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, They're not cahorny. Cahorny, cahorny, cahorny. <laughs> uh, I like their frosty. They're something very old, old school. They remind me of the old world, I think. The, the mm. bloodthirsters. Even though they're like relatively, I don't think they're very old kits at all. I think they're relatively new. It's because they're Balrogs, Tom. It's because they're Balrogs. <laughs> I'll have a good Balrog. What can I say? Uh, oh, Nagash is amazing. I love that model. I yeah, love the Nagash. And there's many books. Oh, there's many, many swirling books and his enormous ridiculous stuff. He's great. I like Arkham quite a mm. lot. Like, so honestly, I think this is uh, not my point, but it's something I'm nicking from someone else. A really good advice if you're not sure what army to collect in a faction or in a game is like just filter the Games Workshop store by monster mm. and pick the monster <laughs> that you want. Because everything else in the faction will stem off from that. <laughs> That's probably like, If you like that monster, you'll probably like the rest of the faction. Mm. Um, with that in mind, I like the, um, what's the Magma Droth? The Fire Slayer, oh, Lava, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dragon, Salamander, Beast. They're pretty cool. They're That's pretty good. Cool. I like that. Um, Did you see the, um, the new Corn uh, Dragon? Yeah, I, I like it, but it's, I wouldn't feel compelled to. Oh, it's, it's the size of my house. <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's enormous. I'd love that if I finally got that, it showed up like you finished your Star Trek. It's like, like oh, I got this. <laughs> that's not a dragon. It's, that's not a horse. This is a horse. It's Corn's turn. <laughs> like, um, that's a very big horse. Um, I think in terms of 40k knights, the obvious one, because mm. they look amazing. Yeah. Uh, I just really want to own one. Um, I like a lot of the aircraft in 40k. Mm. I don't know if they count as centerpieces. I think they could yeah, probably do. Should do. Yeah. But- yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> is it the Thunderhawk? I, I always call it a Thundercat. Which would it's Thunderhawk. It's yeah. the Thunderhawk. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Thunderhawks are stop. <laughs> um, there was, um, I'll show a picture. Did I show you the picture of the Thunderhawk from the best painted? At yeah. The 40k, the uh, 30k, sorry. Pretty amazing. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. That's super nice. Yeah. Man, 40k is awesome sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love them. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, I love that Redemptor Dread- Dreadnought actually for the Power yeah. range. That's super sweet. I've not actually seen the repulsive tank in the flesh, but the rest I of it have. Is it's big, yeah. big and square, like space marine tank, just like it's nice. just like a Primaris. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Robert, who writes: Hi, Minis Monthly. One of my sci-fi fantasy pet peeves is female warriors wearing high heels. So when I began work on my Escher gang, I green stuffed their shoes into slightly more combat-appropriate platform wedges. Surprisingly, they turned out great. Flush with success, I gave my gang leader a full flak armor vest and modeled a flowing cape for a champion. Nice. Considering I'd never worked that extensively with green stuff, my teenage-era Gondor soldiers looked like Nurgle troops after I finished with them. I was really proud of my work and shocked I was able to pull it off. So a couple of questions. Have you ever gone out of your way to fix a model's look? Also, have you ever looked at a finished piece and thought, something I made shouldn't look this good? Congrats on the beautiful minis you've posted, Robert. I'm, uh, I'm terrified of modern green stuff, though I'd love to try it. As I, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, I wanted to put cloaks on my Stormcast, but didn't think I'd ever have the sculpting power mm. to make that happen. Uh, I, I'm pretty worried about green stuff and kind of uh, using it wrongly in the way that I accidentally end up messing up the texture of the surface of the models if I'm trying to fill gaps and do stuff. So um, actually sculpting stuff out of it seems like a distant goal. Mm. Yeah, I don't like so that it was like, 
gone out of your way to fix a model. Mm. I'm not sure I necessarily have. Um, I've done a lot of like little bits of green stuff and things for my Zangor. May they ever one day arrive. <laughs> um, which I've talked about before. And that wasn't so much about fixing so much as, well, I suppose in some ways it was like, I really wanted to make sure that the weapon options, we- weapon op, no, Jesus Christ, the weapon options were represented on the models mm. because, um, that can, that's a mad war scroll at the best of times. Yeah. So weapon options. So yeah. like, you know, when someone is both like, you know, make sure that all the ones that are mutants have some kind of mutation with green stuff. Like the, the horn blower, like I also wanted him to be a mutant. So I gave him one flaming hand from a pink horror, but he's got two swords crossed on his back to establish that he's still dual wielding. If yep. you know, for the sake of that rule. So like just that sort of what you see is what you get thing. Um, use the tip of a Sangor enlightened spear and attached it to the bottom of the banner so that the standard bearer can also be a great weapon bearer. Nice. So that as if the, the standard is actually like on the end of a long spear. Yeah. Which yeah. just makes it, just helps it gel. Cause otherwise you look at that guy and like, what, what is he armed with mm. other than a flag? Mm. And like, well, there you go. There's a spearhead. Uh, I modified my branch witch a bit. So the branch witch's soul normally has like a, an almost kind of grub on her shoulder. Um, but I also look kind of dumb. So I took a bit of terrain and kind of, hacked it up and had the the grub coming out of that and then her standing on the top of it just little things really yeah. that that felt like fixing that model because the model seemed super imbalanced with the way it was actually originally sculpted I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm quite confident with green stuff now for fixing models I'm getting much more confident with milliput for bases yeah. which is what I use a lot of for that well, so is that just like a clay or is it it's like um, quite a fine clay mm. it, it's um it's a lot softer when you're working it than green stuff so I find it easier for like sculpting so I've just done this for uh, a model that will hopefully be done relatively soon my Slanesh favoring chaos lord yeah because he ships not even with a round base he ships one of those old sculpted square bases oh okay so I had to kind of find a way of molding that onto mm. a I'll show you when we're done recording mm. like um but I basically built him a hill out of milliput nice. and bedded the old square base into it essentially oh, okay. with um uh he's gonna be on a sort of flaming charcoal lava pit thing. So I yeah, made some progress with that. So but yeah in terms of sculpting whole model elements. I've done penance and sort of like scrolls and things for mm. my each characters but but nothing major yet. The other part of this question was, have you ever looked at a finished piece and thought something I made shouldn't look this good? Uh, which I think is how you feel about that horse's ass. That's exactly right. It's the first <laughs> time I've ever felt this about model. Uh, but I'm there now. Mm. I've crossed, I feel like I've crossed the threshold. Of it's good when that happens, isn't some it? Sort, yeah. Yeah. I feel this way about my, uh, Dark Earth Chieftain. Mm. I think he's the best model yeah. I've done. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Feels like you suddenly you, know, you get that level up ding over your head. You're like, it's basically an accident. It's just like I've done this, and it turned out really well. Yeah. I don't know why. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, it turned out how I exactly how I envisioned it. Yeah, that's the main thing. It's why I didn't have to, you know, backtrack or fix anything. It's just like, that's exactly how I wanted it to look. And yeah, good. That's crazy. Stop now. Yeah, just, <laughs> that's the end of my hobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Our final question comes from Drew, who writes, Hello, Chris and Tom. I recently had a bad experience with games where after the fact I've discovered my opponents have made favorable mistakes when counting up their points Hmm. or for their units' rules. I mostly play with random people in store or at clubs, so I'm not that worried about playing them again. However, finding out after the fact that I've been up against the stacked deck is a bit wearing on the fun. What would your thoughts be on how to avoid this in the future? Asking to see lists before games to check rules and points seems unreasonable. Similarly, having my own copy of their codex open during the game seems unsporting. Maybe just the price for taking part in the hobby. Thanks for the pods, Drew. 
Yeah, we, we touched on this before about having just a, a degree of trust about what your opponent's doing with all mm. their dice rolls and their war scrolls and things. There's so much complexity in the hobby that there's a lot of trust involved. Uh, you'd hope that people check the army lists though, like, uh, one worlds you, you had to hand in your army list and presumably if it was wrong, you'd be corrupted. Yeah, you should have to do that in any, in any tournament. Yeah. Incidentally, fun shades by a fact. Not only did I come dead last, I did worse than a guy who arrived with an illegal deck. Because he'd never played, he'd only ever played Shades with his mates and he didn't know that, um, lovely, lovely, lovely bloke genuinely didn't know that he had to have the same number of upgrades as ploys. Yeah. So he had like a couple of upgrades and loads and loads of ploys because ploys are really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but they let him remake his deck. Okay. Uh, which is very kind of the tournament organizers and I think the right thing to do. Yeah, so yeah, someone doesn't sure. waste the journey. Uh, but he still did better than me. <laughs> so just, that's just an update from the bin. <laughs> okay. Um, more, yeah. more to come I also did worse than a guy who dropped. <laughs> oh, out of the event <laughs> oh how's that possible though because if you play more you can lose more <laughs> um uh, yeah no it, it was a great time i had a good time i had a good time um so i think this is one of the reasons not a not the reason but it's a reason to be as uh friendly and sporting and um open about your own rules as you can mm. because i think it buys you goodwill that you can use ask the right questions. Like I think the only way around this is to know the fundamentals of the game extremely well. You're not going to know every army. Um, to know your own rules extremely well mm. so that you can answer similar questions very quickly. And between those two things, hopefully develop a sense of that doesn't sound right to yeah, me. Yeah. Um, cause I've had that on things before. And if you are sufficiently friendly to play with the rest of the time, if you ask your opponent, does it really work that way? Mm. Or, Oh, Oh, cool. could you just show me like how that works? Cause I've never encountered this before. Mm. Then you are more likely to get a positive response to that. I think cause you've shown yourself to be kind of willing to do it. Mm. It's a bit of a strategic thing, to be honest. Like mm. if you are kind of nice and friendly and super open about your own rules and willing to rule in your opponent's favor, then if you go like, oh, I didn't realize, I didn't realize smite was D six mortal wounds, whatever. Right. You can go. Oh, actually it isn't. Oh, and then you obviously, if you've, if you feel like you've caught them in a, a cheaty mistake, then you can just give them the benefit of the doubt. And then the next cheaty mistake hmm. is basically extremely passive aggressive <laughs> is the solution to this problem. Well, you just go get the TO and then, uh, and then everything's awkward for a bit, but then it resolves. Uh, which is what happened. If, yeah. Right. Uh, in a tournament. But th- that was just the revolt, the result of, um, Instinctively knowing, having played a fair bit of AOS, what things can or can't do in the game roughly. So if something can just like go from one side of the board to another, that I would like to know how that happened in, yeah. in turn one. You know what I mean? It's like, sure, some things can do that in the game, definitely. But how did this one do that? But how did this one really do that? Because that's like a, a really advanced thing for any unit to be able to do in, in this game about moving everywhere. Yeah. The trump card to that is just pointing and go, is a horse. <laughs> and then it's like, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. That's one of Nagashi's favorites. Yeah. Uh, yes. So just, I don't know, instincts. It, it's so much trust and just kind of, uh, yeah, it's thorny. It's thorny, but I think as long, if you are nice and good to play with, mm. you will, inevitably therefore put yourself in the best position for other people to enjoy playing with you. And if those people are good, then you get to keep playing with them. Mm. And if they're not, then you're in the best position to have the moral high ground <laughs> in any subsequent dispute. That's all that matters. Indeed. The high horse, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> the sweet high horse. Yeah. Um, that is all the questions we've got. And it may well be time for us to yank the curtain. <laughs> 
for the for final time until for the final time this month on this podcast hmm. uh, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of miniatures monthly you can do so by emailing us at miniatures at crate and crowbar.com as ever uh, this podcast is supported by the crate and crowbar patreon which supports the main crate and crowbar pc gaming podcast and its uh, spin-offs if you'd like to find out more about that, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. Tom, where do people find your miniatures pictures and That's those hot winking horse asses? Sweet. I need to take a, I need to take a picture, a dedicated picture. You need, of, uh, you need to do that. You need to send it to me by horse. tomorrow. So I'm <laughs> the show. Uh, yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Ludo Paints Minis, which is L-U-D-O Paints Minis. Give a like to that horse ass. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Exit Warp, which is E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P, uh, where you'll find my picture of a very horny gentleman. Um, <laughs> you were also on Twitter, uh, uh, Minis Monthly. Uh, yes, that's good. Follow, follow that. Yeah, uh, which is, uh, where we post pictures of stuff we're working on and games and nonsense. Uh, yeah. Uh, and on Twitter as individuals as well. Uh, I'm at PCG at Ludo, which is L-U-D-O. Uh, I'm not going to about games there, but whatever. If you yeah. want to follow me there, it's all I good. brought it up, so I'll finish. <laughs> it's at C Thurston for me, which is C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. <laughs> and that's it for us. Yeah. Another month down. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.